This is Bottom of the Bill. Are you big on going to film festivals? I am. I'm weird. I love martial arts films, so there isn't really like a martial arts film only film festival, okay. nor a lot of them submitted to film festivals. Yeah, they're historically not great <laughs> movies. Yeah, that's yeah. what I love about them, though. Some of the worst <laughs> martial arts films are the best because they're horrible to watch. I actually have a subscription to this thing called Haya. And it's just like all martial arts films. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's great. What's your favorite martial art film? The Raid Redemption. Like there's a scene where they're fighting between these two doors and he's punching one guy, knocks him out, throws him through the door so the door's like half broken. And then he turns around, punches the other dude, grabs his face and just jumps backwards and slams his neck into the bottom half of the broken door. Oh and like when God. it happens, you're like, <gasps> <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate TikTok. You hate TikTok? It has nothing to do with political whatever. It's just ruining art. Okay. Now, if you want to truly find a dope artist that you connect with, how many fucking times did you have to swipe up? It's just like digging through a cesspool of shit tier memes, shitty content, influencers that fucking suck. I shouldn't have to dig through shit to find some gold. It's muddled the idea of what good is. Like I already said it earlier, I love shitty martial arts films. Yeah. But on the same token, some of my favorite memes or creators they don't make good content at all it's total fucking dumb shit my dumbass chose an art form that requires skill and dedication and you pump out this dope video for it to just get lost in the feed of like the bullshit that tiktok has created welcome bottom of the bill everybody this is a new thing i'm trying to get people excited wow i'm so invested i'm excited That's um, cool. it's been a uh, great episode today yeah, we, we, we shot a really good one. Uh, I think well, we, we've we not necessarily kept it super close to the vest during these intros, but we can. This is two close friends of ours. Yeah. We say in it, we're not, we're going to keep the secret alive. Let's keep the secret alive. Good buddies of mine. Yeah. Uh, one person is like one of the longest people I've known in Jacksonville. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. It was a good one. Extraordinarily talented. Massively. Um, what's been going on with you? It's been a busy week. Um, it's been a good week, though. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the past month has been like getting this EP for Alchematic out. Um, so we shot our music video on Sunday, um, and it turned out better than I could have expected. Like I'm very much my brain works in the music production world, um, and like I can see a vision for the stuff outside of that, but it's like you know, outside of just like kind of talking about it, like it's hard for me to like really see what that looks like the way I see like a finished musical product. So to kind of, you know, be a cog in that wheel of bringing that to life was really cool because I just like, I, I nearly couldn't believe my eyes when I was like looking at some of the, you know, footage reviewing it. I was just like, dang, yeah, that, that really came, uh, really came to light. So, um, shot the music video, which was awesome. Um, and it was with uh with uh, with miles uh so he was he was involved in it as well um so yeah that was that was kind of like the big thing and then we sent all of our music out for distro so by the time people are listening to this they'll know that we um will have our first single and music video out on september 22nd on all streaming platforms it'll be no more um so you can go check out alchematics new music and hit that pre-save link in our bio yo uh It'll be all out and about by then. Hell yeah. So that was the biggest thing this weekend. And then a handful of gigs. Um, 
rehearsal, we had a hurricane. We had a rainstorm. <laughs> rainstorm is hard to even call it that. Barely rained at all. Yeah, I was going to say a little bit of wind. It was actually beautiful out. I did an outdoor gig that night. Yeah. <laughs> it was the nicest it's been out in six months. Terribly sorry for our people on the West Coast of Florida that they got nailed, but yeah. Jacksonville was pretty much unaffected by it. Yeah, we we were lucky this uh, this time around. It's you know hurricanes are unpredictable, so yeah, that's uh that's how it how it fell this time. So where'd you play? Um, Southern Grail. I filled in for Parker Urban, um, and it was a pretty light attendance night, which means we just get to jam more. I played with Brandon Shane. I hadn't played with Brandon. It's probably been a while because I he's. He's a hustler and does the jam, and I it's hard for me to get out there a lot. So um, it was good to see them and play with them. I see Shane a good bit playing with Cluster. Um, so the three of us just kind of tore some cool shit up. It was fun. Well, I played some stuff I'm sure they don't do all the time out there. Like we did some Steely Dan. We did some uh, Herbie Hancock. Um, it was fun. It was a good jam. Hell, yeah. Yeah, I'm playing with Brandon on Labor Day. So nice. I guess – It'll be yesterday when nah. this comes out. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and and Shane actually too. Oh, cool. Yeah, and Aaron Thorla. Oh, I have wow. A whole new lineup for this one. That's dope. That's exciting. I'm glad to hear that. That'll be fun. Yeah, like, it'll be different. You know, it'll be different. Yeah, Aaron uh, plots. He's got his day job, so he couldn't. It's a, like 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. type okay. deal. Yeah. I think Billy's out of town. Um, and then Kevin's going to be out of town too. So I'm just kind of throwing it together. It should be fun. Yeah. I fucking need it, dude. Sure. I love the guys I play with, obviously, but it's just like, you need to switch it up musically. I think just to kind of keep yourself on your toes a little bit. Yeah. And there's this kind of like, you know, you know, especially within the music community and outside of it, this kind of like looking down on like a thrown together band, you know, like, oh, it's just, okay. How can it possibly be tight? How can it be good? But like, you know, if everyone's a good player and, you know, they take the responsibility and do their homework, you can make some really incredible music with a band, especially high caliber guys like that, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, I hear all the time like, oh, well, I just, I don't want it to be different every night. It's like some people live and thrive in that, you know, it's like, that's exciting. You know, it keeps, like you said, it keeps you on your toes, keeps uh, the blood circulating, keeps your heart beating. It's, it's. Yeah. Well, especially like in low stakes atmospheres like that, because you gotta, you gotta, you know, you got to switch it up a little bit. You know, for me, if you like the gig itself is already something that I'm not like putting a whole lot of stock into as far as like where it's taking me in my career. Yeah. Right. So not to say that I don't respect the people that are there or or, or I don't appreciate the gig, of course, you know, I'm getting paid. So I'm going to do what I do. Um, but I have to have like something there to keep me excited other than just that so like if i'm not you know when you play with the same people all the time you kind of go on autopilot also a little predictable yeah like the same patterns same you know same music yeah so just like being able to switch it up and playing with shane and brandon is always fun because like they're a great rhythm section to work on but like they'll Mm -hmm. keep they 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 like they'll make you work you know what i mean which is which is like good for me it it makes me it it takes me out of autopilot and puts me in the zone yeah and you know shout out to both those guys you know they're they're not on the pod so i'm not gonna you know both of them are sober right now as well and like there's something about the clearness of musicality you get like both of those guys were on fire wednesday like we were just like those two play together often, so they have this kind of musical locking, but Shane and I have been getting some hours in now recently, 
and like it's like the clearness and like the you know articulation they were going in on some of these places was unreal it was really cool to catch up with them and see and play so like i'm i'm excited and curious to hear about yours is going to go because i think it'll be a you know a morning gig that's hard for uh that can be that can be tough so yeah that'll be that'll be fun it'll be cool i'm looking forward to it hell yeah and then tuesday we did uh we did the album we did our my yeah so how you feeling I'm feeling pretty good. I thought I thought the performances were pretty solid overall. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thing because like okay, you know, there's there's playing to a click, right? And then there's playing and singing to a click, and then there's playing, singing to a click, and then putting on a performance for the camera. Yeah. And then you got and then like and what that entails, you know, it's like okay, well, you know, shout out to Miles, our guest today. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But he he also worked on your guys's video, mm-hmm. um, and he was work he was running the video on this project, and you know when he's getting those close up shots or he's moving around, I have to know where he's gonna be at, yeah. you know. And sometimes you lose track of that because you're you, you know I'll close my eyes, I'm like into it, or I'm focusing on what the click is doing, yeah. You know, making sure I'm I'm in line with that, and then or just making sure I'm hitting the notes properly. Um, and then you know, I'll open my eyes or I'll come to and realize like, oh, Miles is over here now. So I have to just be conscious of all those moving things at the same time. Yeah. You know, so it was a lot to, to, to do. And then we were, we were working for nine hours. It was a know? full day. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely a full day. So, but it was awesome, man. It felt good. I was glad when it was over. Yeah. Um, once we got into the rhythm of it, I felt good. I think going into it, I was nervous because I'm like, dude, um, playing and singing to a click and then needing a solid performance without any fucking up yeah you know in order to 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 make it all work and th- while also being on video and then like you're thinking about all the you know we do the interview stuff that happens afterwards and just mm-hmm. what's the second to look like and how we're gonna and you know once it all came together i mean we always have a solid crew yeah jay totally. came up here you were here miles uh we had a uh, um rick and was it rick stone? was work yeah rick and stone uh we're on the audio engineering side um, so, I mean, we pulled it all together, man. Yeah. Made it's it just like, you know, pulling experienced people just makes it easy. Cause like this is at this point you've made a few records and like, and filmed them and done documentary stuff. So you kind of have, you know, you know what you're looking to get out of it. And that's, you know, Rick kept saying it and it was true is that you were like, just prepared, you know, it's like you, like you walked in, you know, your own arrangements, you know, like where to fold on certain things, you know, what to give to certain things, you know, like it's just like so easy in terms of that it's just like yeah it just takes hours to get the thing you know but it's not like you're not sitting there trying to get the thing ready to then get the thing it's like right no you walk in it's like no we just we got to make sure it look we got to do all the technical stuff but that's that's the hard part it's not the performances are there you know like you had all that shit ready which was like you know we we've done this enough to know we wish we could say that was always the case to where it's like totally you know but like whenever it is the case and you got guys that know what they're doing on the work side of it it's like the, it's all it all is extra appreciated and it just makes the workflow like seven tunes in a day is not an easy task let no, alone man. filming them and like making sure you get the shots to film them and do all that stuff so like that was a day like and everyone busted it out like that was yeah. a, that was a good work day my throat was on fire the next day oh i bet that gig was fun i, I didn't the have next a gig t- thank uh, god uh real talk that's uh, it's exhausting <laughs> yeah i had a gig yesterday which will have been two days after the shoot and that was that was fine but like i needed the recovery day on wednesday yeah because totally. i was like my throat was like just inflamed and yeah 
you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, I mean, like you have to, you have to come in the music should be something that you're not thinking about totally, you know, because there's other things you have to think about, you know, and granted, you know, if I, if I had the budget or like I had the full understanding of how to build sets and like, you know, how to get all that information out in advance, yeah. um, then we could have walked in and done everything the same way. But, you know, we're still learning how to do all this stuff. That's why, you know, it's part of building and learning yeah. and growing and, um, yeah, I'd love to do more stuff like this. I, I love that process, you yeah. know, like, like the music is, is awesome, but I think the whole creative process I think is like, just when I got done with that day, I, you know, it just felt like I accomplished something real. Yeah. Like, like we accomplished something real. No, for sure. And yeah. I was about to say the same thing is like contributing to a vision and seeing it happen. Like there was like same thing with our video shoot. Like, wow a lot of the idea came from Chelsea and like her vision and constructed it. Like when her miles and I all got together, like ideas started bouncing and like refining that idea to make the best version of the thing possible. And like whenever you had an idea that stuck or something that, that came to life is like so rewarding to see that come to fruition. Like just the whole process started to finish and like be like same thing with like getting the set built over there. Like you have to take the time to get that right. Like we got our set built, we got everything going. It's like, kind of the same thing you like take the take the time to get it looking right and then just do the thing like you know in both cases i thought it was just like that was how it went and it's you know it was it's it was an exhausting weekend you know to go from uh you know i worked my church gig before i went to the video shoot so i played a gig the night before uh woke up at 6 30 loaded into church at 7 ran that until 12 was on site by 12 30 and then we left there at 11, up the next day, loaded in here for pre-production at noon, went to teach, drove to Daytona, played until one, came back home, was up, and then here we are for the shoot at noon, ran that until like nine, and then thank God a hurricane hit and I could take Wednesday <laughs> off. Yeah. Like, well, you still played Wednesday at the jam. Oh, yeah. Then I did a gig, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. And then I did a gig last night and then I'm doing a gig tonight and then I'm off tomorrow. So no one call me. <laughs> this will already be out, but I'm fucking staying home. Yeah, totally. I'm not playing. Yeah. But, but to do all that, you know, the gig stuff's a given. You have to do all that. But then to do these big creative things around it really does take a lot out of you. But there is just like this like wait now that it's done. It's like cool. I can like look to the next creative thing because like just getting all this lined up. You know, we had uh, eight eight musicians on the shoot, uh, three video crews, two fine arts crews. Um, so like coordinating with everybody, you know, getting everything lined up. It's just it's that side of it takes so much work. And then physically setting it up, running the take over and over again you're like you know how it is it's like it's it's exhausting so to yeah. do all that and still work like we have to do to sustain uh i'm it was a exhausting week but i'm i'm glad it's that it all went the way it did you know like yeah. if, it, if it had gone like rougher it would be harder to be like yeah this was awesome but like they, it, you almost get to a certain level where if you're gonna keep working like this you have to perform at that level to make it realistic you know it's like Cause I don't have two days to shoot a video. I got a gig, you know, tomorrow night. And so like today's our day, you know, like yeah, we got to get it and move on. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, 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 uh, 
that's just part of the grind right now. But I think overall it's good. I think. Oh yeah, it'll uh, change. I'm stoked for for you guys, and you know, you you by this point you've announced the single dropping yep. September twenty second. Twenty second. Yeah. Uh, so that's gonna be awesome. Yep. Keep your eyes out. We'll be on the pod before you know it. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know when I'm gonna be dropping my stuff, um, but. I'm excited for having done it. Another bottom yeah. of the bill production thing, you know, um, totally. just, you know, putting a, a ribbon on some of these songs. I don't think I'm done with some of them yet. I think there's a few that I want to like fully produce and yeah, I could hear that. Yeah. But you know, for right now, I'm just happy to be getting another thing out, you know, totally. on that note, uh, we have miles Dante on the podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. Our fucking boy. He's, we should probably not say fucking because want to, apparently YouTube like does weird stuff if you curse in the first five minutes of the podcast. Or, uh, uh, we've uh, been cooking for at least seven. Uh, word. Okay, we're good then. He's our fucking boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, he's a very, very talented videographer. He's worked with everybody in this town, mm-hmm. um, not just uh, not just us, but like LPT and, I mean, I, just the list goes on and on. He's doing. He's done wor- work with uh, uh, MTV and reality shows with them, and I mean Netflix, PGA. Netflix. P- he's just. He's all over the place. He's, he's doing it, he, and he's wildly talented. He's coached us on this podcast. Actually, that you're about to see, he's the reason why none of our cameras died. Yep. On this one, so um, he's an awesome dude. We were very happy to have him, and we talked about all kinds of awesome stuff. So um, enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. Uh, we have Mert. New merch coming soon. Uh, I just talked to Jay about that, so we're, we're working so on cool. that stuff. Um, and make sure you follow, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, and, yeah, let us know what you think of the episode. Share. Let your friends know. Enjoy. Peace. This is Bottom of the Bill. All right, now we're rolling. The floor is yours. Fuck yeah. Chris just yelled at me for starting early, so now I'm like very cautious. Yeah, dude didn't even ask at yeah. all. He was just like, and my Miles, what have you been up to recently? Yeah. I'm over here trying to turn the fucking mixer on, and Anton's just like, so what What was your childhood like? This, <laughs> this is why I don't push buttons. I just, I just sit here and talk, and that's all I got to do. You do real good at it. Uh, so what's up, Miles? I've been doing great, man. Yeah? Oh, yeah. So you were supposed to come on last week, and we couldn't do it because you had a medical situation? Yeah, I got dry socket and a pulled tooth and my wisdom tooth. Yeah. It was terrible, man. Like, I called the dentist the next day, and they didn't answer. Apparently, the dentist died, so I was (laughs) just left hanging for, like, two days with dry socket. Quite the experience. (laughs) (laughs) it's just such a wild predicament where like you have a medical emergency and first off it's over the weekend so it's already hard enough and then by the time you call them it's like super infected and then you find out the dentist is dead yeah (laughs) so what do you do once you find out the dentist is dead well i called them and i was ready to be like heated like y'all left me hanging what the hell blah 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 and then she was like yeah well the head dentist died and my whole attitude just dropped and i was like oh i'm so sorry to hear that of course when's the soonest you can see me please (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow thank you (laughs) so you got it resolved like within the, the, the day though or at least after 
Monday. Yeah, it got pulled on Saturday. Didn't stop bleeding till like four in the morning, and then uh, I had to deal with it Monday and Tuesday. I could get back in. And so, what were you doing for food? Uh, them drinkable soups. I went to. I had like the little basket from Publix, just filled to the top with Campbell's drinkable soups. Aren't all soups drinkable? No, you know what I mean. <laughs> the little. I thought that was the property of soup. <laughs> well, you can't have any noodles. You can't have any bits of food in there. So it was all like tomato bisques and butternut squash. Bro, I can't fucking do that shit. And then you had to eat like the hydrocodones on top of that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't making you nauseous at all. It was making me loopy, but not nauseous. Yeah, for sure. I was playing games like, oh, I'm a feeling like i had a drink or two what the hell yeah <laughs> yeah that shit's wild man i can't believe that the dentist fucking died on you that's insane. yeah right did, that was first time for everything i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh so well, we're happy that you're feeling better and that you made it here i can actually talk now <laughs> yeah <laughs> imagine trying to do the podcast live oh, just come in bro fuck it we'll we'll work it out just come in, <laughs> do a podcast with a dry socket <laughs> my mouth doesn't move but i'm still talking yeah <laughs> like the world's worst ventriloquist <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll bring you a puppet next time that happens. <laughs> Put a sock on your hand. Yeah. <laughs> so what else has been going on, man? What are you are you working on? Anything new that you're excited about? Yeah, man. I actually I've been working on this uh, dope Chester Bennington kind of documentary. Okay. It's been a wild ride trying to get it started and going. Who's Chester Bennington? The singer of Lincoln Park. Oh. Right. Yeah. That's okay. That's fucking wild, bro. So how do you, how did you get linked up with that? So last year I worked on a show called MTV's Family Legacy. Okay. And um, I was just audio on that. I'm a little multi-talented on set. So I was field audio. And it was a show about uh, interviewing famous musicians' kids about their parents and then showing them clips from the entire archive of MTV backlogged footage. So it was kind of like a half interview, half react style show. We even did the split down the middle where you can see their kid reacting to the content because mm. MTV wanted to do something that fit the masses these days. Right, so they want to do like a TikTok style kind of thing. Yeah, or just, you know, the whole react content right. space makes so much money. There's a few YouTubers that make six figures a month off of just reacting to TikToks. Right. It's nuts. So they wanted to kind of capitalize on that. But one of the uh, kids we did was Draven Bennington. That was Chester's son, mm. his first son. And the interview went great. It was very emotional and powerful. Probably the best episode to watch is his and Biggie's son. We made sure them two were in an episode. So uh, I think it's on Paramount Plus if you want to watch it. Interesting. Um, so how are, they pair, how are they choosing to pair these people up? Is it just like random or... I feel like they wanted to have a, a rock and roll hip hop. Okay. And then the next episode was Andrew Hagar, Sammy Hagar's son, yeah. and then another hip hop person. They wanted to like split it up so it wasn't like a full rock and roll or full kind of hip hop or uh, another genre. They wanted to mix it up to keep people interested. That makes sense. Yeah. And are you, are you having direct contact with these people? I'm, I'm just curious as to like what they're like growing up in that kind of environment um yeah so we all got to to basically hang out in their house a lot of them since they were in mansions we had to wear these like little booties and you know you got to run outside the grab gear run inside to get set it up run back outside the grab more gear, and like you're taking the booties on and off on and off oh, and man. they have a lot of rules like uh 
Um, one of the people's wife was pregnant, so we had to be very careful about like being sick. So we had to do COVID tests the morning before and stuff like that. Mm. But they were all really nice people, especially the kids. Like, I don't know, I'm going to be honest. I thought some of them were going to be complete shitheads. Yeah. But not, not a single one. All very humble, all very grateful for like their parents' hard work. Some of them are trying to be musicians. Other ones became politicians or they they didn't weren't necessarily following in the music footsteps, but the legacy was there. Like they took all the the I guess money, you could say, yeah. and used it to, you know, make sure that they make a difference in the world too. Not one of them was doing anything selfish, you know, but That's awesome. But we got hooked up with uh Draven and his mom after the interview. They invited me and my girlfriend out for dinner and she's she was the executive producer for the show. Okay. And at that dinner they pretty much pitched to her and I about this documentary about Chester's story. So we hopped on and we've been trying to make a sizzle reel for it, it's called, so we can get it in front of networks to for hopefully that they buy it. So for those who don't know, what is a sizzle reel? A sizzle reel is like a five-minute example of what that episode would look like. Right. And sometimes it starts with, you know, like in our case, we're using our own time and money to make this five-minute sizzle. And the hopes is obviously that they just outright pay for the whole series but most of the time they hand you a couple thousand dollars to go and make one full episode and then based off of that they'll order x amount of episodes and or since this was more like a docu-series we we're really pitching four one-hour episodes um so they would hopefully you know pay for those four pay for two and then go from there until it gets fully greenlit to to be on air right now obviously as a videographer and being you know across the board on the production side you can kind of do it all but like you have access to your own inventory of cameras and software everything that you might need to do when you're getting cash to do a sizzle reel for somebody are you tapping into all of that or are you trying to keep it as low budget as possible for yourself um to try and just you know keep your time and resources uh, at a minimum so when they let's say you know um for example mtv was like we're gonna order one full episode here's 10 grand like uh, it's in our best interest to spend the whole 10 grand right um and then what's cool about sizzle reels is like i don't have to get rights to anything um, so like I can use Linkin Park's number one hit songs, even those those cost around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get a license to be able to use it in a TV show. Right. Um, uh, even more if it's a feature film. But they're not making any money off the reel, so they don't need you. Yeah, to... and they're the only ones watching it. Right. You know, it's not so. It's nice in that fact that we don't have to spend money on licensing or anything. But yeah, there's a huge kit that I've been building up over the last 10, 15 years. That it's a lot of the pieces I still use till this day. My computer is a gaming PC. <laughs> like I built it to play games, and then when I got in the video editing, I was like, "Oh crap! I need this, 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 and this." And I'm this far away from having a nice editing PC. So, and then all the camera gear and and all that kind of stuff. With what we're doing, we got to use what me and my girlfriend can get our hands on. Right. Um, but like, if a production company per se got the ten grand, that production company might have a whole locker room full of stuff and they'll just flex what they got right but again like on a sizzle i could i i've seen sizzles made on cell phones that sold entire tv shows that's what i was curious about if it makes more sense because you can get away with doing stuff on the iphones now or whatever phone and you don't need to necessarily tap into whatever 
resources you might have access to because it, it does become more complicated when you're talking about more complicated gear, right? It becomes harder to edit and then there's just transferring files and download speed. It's just, it becomes much more time consuming, yeah? yeah? So just to do it on an iPhone to limit time and resources, to me, if the stakes are kind of, if you can get away with doing the same thing on an iPhone, wouldn't you want to do that? Or is there is there a, a benefit to flexing as hard as you can for the ten grand and then saying, "Hey, we spent the whole thing to get this done, but in reality, this would have cost us a hundred k, given everything." So we need to up the budget for the next thing that we do. Well, like with the MTV Family Legacy, um, the production company I was working for got a couple million dollars to make a fairly short TV series. So yeah. that's how much money gets dumped into these things. What kills me is. They'll get, you know, $3.2 million and they get less views on the entire series than some YouTubers get on a single video in one day. Right. And they're using the same gear that you guys are, you right. know? Like, right. Uh, I think the main thing, though, is like if I was pitching a reality TV show, there's no reason to, to go crazy with it. And most of those sizzles are arguably 50% stock footage and then 25% Zoom meetings and then the other 25% is footage that the talent has already had. Right. So like a, um, I've seen a sizzle for this like chocolate guy and most of the footage in it was footage that he has paid people to film of him already for his own means and he just gave it to us to use to make the sizzle for him. Mm. And then it just cuts to a Zoom interview that we recorded with him and then again, a ton of stock footage of chocolate getting made. <laughs> but the idea is to put a little cheap video in front of all these execs so that they, you know, sign off on the, the big money and then we can get to work. Right. Yeah. And, and, and sorry, in my case with the, the documentary, though, you do kind of want to use some nicer stuff so you can sell it more. Because I think what makes a nice doc is how it looks, like how those interviews look and how the B-roll looks. And a lot of documentaries have what's called recrees, recreations of what they're talking about. All of that needs to be high quality if you want to sell the doc. Yeah, man. I, I, I'm I a big fan of documentaries. And the one thing that will instantly put me off, even if the substance is good, if the, if the, if the video quality is shit, I just, I, I, I'm not going to buy that everything else that you're giving me is going to be good either. And that might be a little limiting on my side. But to your point, I think it, you do want to go the extra mile on that stuff because I think when people, it's got to be, people have to feel like they're really in it, right? And when it's cheap um, on the video side, I feel like it's hard for you to buy into the thing. It doesn't feel like you're in the room with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm mainly like, you could have a cheap camera, but vid uh, video is more sound and lights than it is video. Mm. And as long as you know the science behind your camera, you got the right lights, you can make a cheap camera look good. And if you like, if we know our mics, we can make cheap mics sound great, you know? So I I did the whole family legacy on a Shure uh, 416 shotgun microphone. And like uh, the nice thing that I had on that show was very good lav mics. Okay. Um, they're about $800 a piece. So, and uh, the, the boards you use when you're on set for field recording, it's called. It's like having a multi-thousand dollar mixing console just right on your chest the whole time. So wow. they got cashmere preamps and the whole thing, limiters, compressors all built in. So it's great. But that, that's been, you know, pretty much the biggest thing I'm working on. But it's a long work in progress. I, it's my first, like, passion 
slash I want to do this documentary style video I've ever done because I came up doing music videos. I just didn't realize how long these things take. So now when I hear like this documentary took four years to make, I'm like, yeah, that's about on par. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, um, I had the, uh, I was tasked with doing one for side hustle. We decided that we were going to, well, I, I guess I kind of decided that we were going to do like a behind the scenes of our last album, like making that. So the studio that we worked with brought in some camera people and then we kind of, you know, co-produced the thing together. And, but that, you know, what happened was it was my first time kind of like trying to put together like a storyline for this thing and, or storyboarding the thing and trying to figure out like what kind of questions are we going to be asking for interviews? What are we trying to grab, you know, on the B-roll side, all that stuff. So, and then, you know, the, the main studio, the owner of the studio wanted to be like this middleman between me and the videographer and it beat the last I've got lost in translation. So the videographer and I, we had a huge falling out because he was kind of a fucking piece of shit, to be honest. And uh, and so I fired him off the project and I ended up having him send me all of the, the footage. And I just went through hours and hours and hours of shit and started piecing it together. And I think I got it to a point, you know, we, we released it last um August, July, July 29th up there liberation documentary show. We did it at 1904 rest in peace. And <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think I got it to a point where it, it looks pretty good, but man, there was like so much that I didn't get because it, like there was just a lot of miscommunication. So I had to like really figure out how to like, squeeze the most out of like shit footage. Basically it was only a 30 minute being a 30 minute documentary. And it took me, from 2020 to 2022 to get it out. And that's with like, you know, little editings. I don't know any, any color correction stuff or like any of that. So it was just all very minimal piecing together and just putting in transitions here and there. And that was it. And that was two years. Yeah. So I can't even imagine with as in depth as you're going to be getting into the editing side of it. And with the amount of footage you're going to have, how long is the documentary supposed to be? Do you know yet? We, well, we're pitching four one-hour episodes. That's what the family wants okay, to right. do. Okay, right. It's a docuseries. Yeah, so right. that it's going to be a lot. And, uh, on you know, when let's say the sizzle sells, like, I'm free of this project. I will not be able to work on the full series, if that makes sense. Oh, why? Uh, because it will be up to that network to decide who the director mm. of photography is. And then whatever production company they also hire to make it will have their own library of people they want to use. It's insanely, insanely rare that the people who made the sizzle uh, are the ones that actually film the whole thing, too. Okay. Uh, secretly, I hope that something happens and we just got to get our own funding and do it ourselves because then I can still shoot the whole thing as the, the DOP. Um, which, for people who don't know, director of photography is who you really want to look for if you're super interested in the cinema and how things were lit. Director just tells the actors what to do. It makes the script, you know, sell. But it's the DOP that picks the camera, the lenses, the lighting, how we're going to shoot it, what gear the camera's on, handheld, tripod, gimbal, like all that kind of stuff. DOP. Mm. Always check out the DOP in the credits. Okay, how... I'm curious as to that relationship between the director and the DOP. That's got to be an interesting relationship. Yeah, that can go... You got to make sure that you're real connected with that person. Yep. You right. got producers, director, and then DOP, and then camera crew, and then everyone else. Yeah. You know, and it's the kind of the producers and the directors will concoct some ideas that just can't fucking happen. 
and then they go to the DOP and it's your job to be like, yes or no. You know, this is the budget you gave us. This is the gear we got. This is what we can pull off and this is what we can't or this is what we need to go and rent to make what you guys want happen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned getting funding yourself. What is, have you thought about actually like putting together like a proposal and pitching it to to money people? And, and what, what does that look like for you for a project like this? If I had to handle it, it would definitely just be like a GoFundMe or something. Yeah. Um, but that might be a little too public. Uh, what I've been noticing with a lot of these high-end families, let's call them, is they uh, they like their privacy, and I don't blame them. Of course, yeah. So I don't doubt that the family would want to just uh, do private pitchings to their known contacts, because we won't need that much to keep it going. And, you know, if we can get at least 20, 30 grand... We could film a lot of it, edit that down, re-show it to them, and just like kind of funnel money in as it goes instead of, boom, here's a couple million bucks, go make it, you know? Right, right. Because even a million dollars isn't enough to make like a a great production. A million dollars for a film is small budget. It's tiny, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts. So let's say you go the route of pitching it to their inner circle, right? And then... Um, you're creating things that you're getting smaller lump sums of money as you go. You're producing these things. You're making edits. And you're, now, as a money person, um, let's say this process is like two years of getting something that we can now sell. As a money person, I'm giving you lump sums of 20 grand here, 30K here, and maybe it's going up for every re thing that we're re-showing. When and how do we sell this thing to make my money back? Uh, like if we, let's say we have the full thing done, mm -hmm. uh, Hulu might want to buy it. Netflix might want to buy it outright or they'll want to buy rights to be able to show it. And that's all up to the family to figure out. And, and that's how the money would be made. Do film festivals come into play on this side at all? Because I feel like people use film festivals as an outlet to sh showcase products that aren't fully developed yet but are looking for funding to become fully developed that could be a way we could go about it for sure yeah my one uh, the caveat with film festivals is when you submit to a film festival you also cannot release it anywhere else until it's been shown at the festival mm. um, a lot of them have rules in place like that or it's just in your best interest to not because then less people will be excited to go see it at the festival. Right. So the idea of submitting it to like several film festivals is like not really. It could be the play, but then it suspends it up in, you know, in the air until they're all shown. Right. Like two years ago, uh, I worked with a poet in town named Ebony, Ebony Payne English, amazing poet. And I did an entire music video for the whole album. Instead of just doing one or two songs, it's just front to back the whole album, 30 minutes. I did a 30-minute like short film for it, and we submitted it to a handful of film festivals, but we couldn't publicly show it ourselves online until it went through all of them. Luckily, we won a couple awards, so it was worth the wait. Hell but, yeah. But I was like, man, no, it's done. Let's put it out. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I think there is something to holding on to something, though, because there's also, even if you don't go the film festival route, like there's still like a lot of promotion and marketing. There's still a lot of things that, that have to be done on the back end that would kind of 
are like happen anyways if you were gonna submit them to film festivals, right? Because there's still like a process. You need to get people excited about them. You need to inform the consumer and all this stuff. But like with, I feel like the cool thing about f- film festivals is that you're getting in front of the money people. These are the people that are like, rather than like putting X amount of dollars into a di- digital marketing campaign and hopefully getting some kind of PR out of it, uh, which is already like a total crapshoot. Like at a film festival, you can really um, showcase to a room full of people that are literally there to invest into a project, right? Yeah. Or they're just super fucking nerds that just want to see shit that's not out yet. It's like half and half for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people who are just looking to learn the craft more because just like with music, like you you can study what was done just by watching all those films. And if one of your favorite directors was doing a passion project or something, then that'd be the way to like really see what they've been wanting to do instead of, oh, he... He had to make this film, or he was hired to make this one, you know? Like, right. Just like when you guys got hired to play in certain bands, like, not in a bad way, but that ain't the music you love to play. Right. You know, I want to see you in the band with the music you love to play. That's really, you know, I'm really going to see your skills shine there. Totally. Yeah. All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, Not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. Um, are you big on going to film festivals? I am. I, I like the bigger ones. And like I... I'm weird. I love martial arts films. So there isn't really like a martial arts film only film festival, okay. nor are a lot of them submitted to film festivals. Yeah, they're historically not <laughs> great movies. Yeah, that's yeah. what I love about them though. Some of the worst <laughs> martial arts films are the best because they're horrible to watch, but that's the best part. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually have a subscription to this thing called Haya. And it's just like all <laughs> martial arts films. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's great. What's your favorite martial art film? Oh crap! The raid, the raid redemption. Who's in that one? It's it's out of like Singapore. It, it uses this martial art called Penchak Silat. Okay. So it's like nothing anyone's familiar with. It's a cool martial art because they fight from the ground and standing up. Whereas like a lot of martial arts are hard split. Right. Like you don't learn striking in jujitsu. Right. And you don't learn arm bars in Muay Thai. Right. But Penchak Silat has both. So the and it's a, a whole Penchak Silat like martial arts school. So they're all used to beating each other up. That's how most stunt teams are for fight films. It's like this whole school that's been training together for years. Actually, it's funny. Mike Shinoda did the music for it, so that that slaps about the film. But it's probably the best modern martial arts film. Like if you're like Bruce Lee is the greatest from this era, The Raid is the greatest from our modern day. It's just insane. Some of the way people get killed in it is mind blowing. Really? Like there's a scene where they're fighting between these two doors and he's punching one guy, knocks him out, 
throws him through the door so the door's like half broken and then he turns around and punches the other dude grabs his face and just jumps backwards and slams his neck into the bottom half of the broken door and like when it happens you're like (gasps) (laughs) yeah what a fucking (laughs) imagine the person has to speak of that eulogy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the film's great too it follows all the martial arts tropes and then there's a sequel to it that's even freaking crazier. Like there's a scene in the second one where they had to disguise a cameraman as a car seat so that... That's fucking wild. Yeah, dude. you can YouTube it. But like uh, there's a guy on the back of a Jeep like holding the camera, handheld. And then when they pull up to the car, he literally passes the camera through the car window. Then car seat cameraman grabs the camera and he passes it to someone that was hiding in the back seat. And then he goes out the other side of the car and there's a dude laying down on the outside of the car and he's just like, and then he gets the camera. All for one shot, all for like one freaking six second shot. But that made the scene because you felt like you were in that shot. I see. So this is a different perspective, I think, because you being somebody who works on this side of it, you're going to understand that and you're going to appreciate the movie for that reason versus like a good storyline or whatever else or acting like for you there's like it's so multifaceted it's like okay well i can give up a good storyline or even good acting if i know on the technical side there was this crazy shit going down yeah yeah yeah. but i mean it all if you guys watch it you'll be like holy crap you won't even care about how they filmed it or whatever you'll just be like this is awesome yeah (laughs) Yeah. i'd kind of want to watch it now the raid yeah and then the sequel and there's a sequel yeah there's the raid uh, Redemption and the Raid 2 Baron doll, I think is how you pronounce it. Okay. But they're both amazing. And then... I see a Raid 3 on here. What? Oh, Google, shit. Google is saying there's a Raid 3. When? Where? Right. How? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That was a real... Let's fucking wrap this up. We're going right that was, now. That was, a real, that was a real tease. Because if you look at Google, there's a Raid 1, 2, and 3 that pop up. Then you click on Raid 3... And it says the Raid 3 will never be made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like these films were shot That's on wild. extremely low budgets. <laughs> and like when I saw the original Raid, it was uh, back when we could all torrent everything. And uh-huh. I had just read something online. It's like, I'll torrent it and watch it. And then uh, when the Raid 2 came out, it played for one day at one theater at only two different time slots. And that was it. That was your only chance to see it in a theater. I went alone. I was like, I don't care. Oh, man. That's (laughs) wild. We all became buddies in there. I don't know any of those dudes' names, but we all were like, fuck it, we're sitting together. And (laughs) that was... (laughs) You guys had this, like, moment in time bonding over this movie, and that'll be be it forever. I just imagine them in all different color (laughs) tracksuits. Believe it or not, at that time, I wasn't in my tracksuit phase. Wow. <laughs> there was a a miles without tracks. Yeah. Mind fucking blown, guys. Yeah. Oh, were you not squatting either? This is crazy. <laughs> no, I didn't do none of that yet. That was like a year after I graduated from yeah. UNF. So I still hadn't found myself. Yeah, you're still, <laughs> still doing audio work. Yeah, I was, yeah. But that that's a great martial arts film. That's it's not on high unfortunately, but I love that. I got to read subtitles and it's always just a play on some ancient Chinese like history story or it's, I, I love it. The Korean martial arts films are really getting up there. I love those. And then the Japanese ones are always over the top. So I like those too. But like, honestly, the worse it is, 
the more I'll like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious, bro. I used to like them when I was younger. I, I mean, but all obviously like more of the the mainstream ones, like the Jackie Chan movies and then like the Jet Li stuff. Yeah, but know? those all those were amazing. Like Jet Li's Fearless. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. So good. Do have you have you watched any of the Tony Jaw movies? Oh pff, yeah. yeah. That shit's fucking what was that one where he's just like walking up a staircase, just wrecking people? Dude, all of them. All of them. <laughs> all of them, dude. There, but there's the one with an elephant. I, I'm trying that's to the first one. Okay. I think that's actually called the protector. Yes, the protector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that I watched, and that's when I discovered Muay Thai. Cause I was like, cause he's like a Muay Thai guy, um, or at least a stunt Muay Thai guy. And I remember just watching that movie. I was like, this guy is fucking ridiculous, bro. Yeah. And like the, the type of fighting was so different than what you saw with like Jackie Chan or Jet Li, which is more like Kung Fu based, you know? I would say that's the raid kind of follows in, in Tony Jaw's footsteps. Like he left a wave and then a lot of people started riding that wave and it's kind of changed how, uh, Kung Fu cinema, if you will, is is working now. I mean, there's even Gun Fu, they call it. I used to say Gun Fu was a joke because there's so many shootings in the country, oh, okay. you know? See, yeah. But now it's a real genre where it's gun fighting Kung Fu film. That's fucking wild. Yeah, like right on high, yeah, you can go Gun Fu and just see all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, bro. Uh, my favorite it. Tony Jaa, I think it was the second one or the third one. It was more like a Kumite fights. Because like back in the day, it wasn't MMA. They were called Akumates, and this one style would fight this one style. And like mm. the whole film was just like a bunch of Akumates. And there's a scene where he's fighting these dudes on a bridge. And Tony Josh, that's a good martial artist, you can see him switch from Muay Thai to a different style, back to Muay Thai, back to Kung Fu. And it was kind of dope to watch. It was great choreography, if you will. And, and yeah martial artists like him and Jet Li and like all the famous guys they're so clean with their style that they make it look good yeah totally. whereas if we like got the best Muay Thai fighter in the world to be like our star in a martial arts film he, he honestly won't make it look as good no of course because there's it's not the same thing you know there's like stunt martial arts and then there's practical martial arts yeah and like what they're doing like Tony Jaa there's not like a legit Muay Thai, pra uh, Muay Thai pra practitioner that would be like, oh, that guy could could really fight. You know what I mean? Because even his style, and th there's a lot of stuff that he's doing that's not Muay Thai. You know, like the way that he blocks stuff, like that's not, th these are karate blocks. These aren't Muay Thai blocks. Yeah. Like the putting the arms out, and like the fucking jumping flip when you sweep the knees out. Like that shit's not going to work in real life. No. But it, it, it looks so fucking good, you mm -hmm. know? I, I think of it as like bodybuilding and powerlifting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. I see that. There's like one that's just for show, and then there's one that actually has like real practical. Yeah, and they both look two different ways, you know? Right. Like a power lift will never look like a body lift or body. God damn it. <laughs> Bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. had it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also the way they lift and their techniques are all different, you know? So, right, uh, right. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's like my late night watch everyone puts on YouTube or something, but I'm like, what crappy martial arts film am I watching tonight? Yeah, bro. I go down the fucking TikTok rabbit hole these days. <laughs> I'm just sitting there. My TikTok feed is just fucking comedians, uh, weird music shit. And then lately I've been getting more of like wild animal videos because I like watching like animals just kill the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck some shit up. Yeah, and also martial arts stuff too because I like... I'm a fan of watching, like, what you're talking about. What was it called when you see the two different styles fight? 
Oh, Akumite. Akumite. I, I like that kind of stuff, especially since I've been doing Muay Thai. It's fun to watch Muay Thai fighters fight like, you know, Taekwondo fighters or boxers or whatever, because you get to see like how they're implementing their thing. It, like, you know, how they have to use a technique that's that's meant to defend or offend against the same thing now work in a different context. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times it doesn't hold up. And sometimes what I've realized is like it doesn't even really matter about what style it is. It's just you're, you're, you're a good fighter or you're not. You know, whatever that fucking tool is is what that tool is. But you see people from karate knock out Muay Thai guys, Muay Thai guys knock out uh, Kung Fu guys. It's just it's like just cool to watch to me. So that's my that's my TikTok feed now. <laughs> I love watching that stuff. There's a couple really famous Muay Thai fighters from Thailand yeah. that branched out and did like K1 kickboxing back mm. in the day. Oh yeah, and they just wiped the floor. Yeah, have you seen the one where uh, where I forgot what his name was, but it, it, he was this Thai fighter, um, and he was going as this American kickboxer. I forgot what his name was also, but he was like famous. He was the best American yeah. kickboxer, and he got leg kicked to freaking yes. death. Literally retired him after that. Yeah, and he changed the way he fought. He changed his entire stance so he could learn to block leg kicks. Yeah, and at first it was funny because he broke the Thai fighter's jaw in the first round with a punch, and they thought it was over for sure. That fight went like all 10 rounds until he KO'd him, in the la or TKO'd him in the last round with leg kicks. Yep. And like, because he couldn't defend him anymore. And then his trainer immediately after the fight was like, fuck that leg kicks are cheap. We don't do that shit, blah, blah, blah. And then they kept tie fighters kept coming into the K one fights and wrecking the American kickboxers. Yep. And they're like, okay, we have to learn leg kicks. It otherwise changed the game. Yeah. Yeah. It all comes down to stance too. Like yeah. Karate. You're very kind of in a straight line so you can get side kicks out and that doesn't tend well to block leg kicks, you know? No, I mean, it's, it's, and same thing with boxing where it's like, it's a very narrow stance. You want to make yourself a narrow target. And, um, that stance doesn't work in, in tie fighting because if you get leg kick, first off, your legs are very vulnerable in that position. And second off, uh, you get sweeps. Yeah, sweeps are allowed yeah. in Muay Thai. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now leg kicking is the meta in all martial arts. I know, bro. <laughs> you see it in karate now and knees and elbows. You're seeing every style of martial art that was like against this kind of thing, like adopting it into their thing. Now, so now, now you see karate, uh, more karate than anything else, but you see them using knees and elbows and stuff now. Yep. Um, when I did karate when I was a kid, we weren't doing any of that shit. It was just like sidekicks and you know, the punches are fucking bullshit punches. And yeah. now everyone, now karate is like almost kickboxing. It's hard to tell the difference anymore, you know? Yep, yep. So. Especially depending on what karate you learned. Like I did Shotokan, Okay. Which is like the more combat, I guess, orientated. And then there's also Kyokushin. And like the the person who made that name famous was George St. Pierre. He was huge Kyokushin karate guy. And you can see it in the way he fought. Right. Um, but yeah, that standing sideways is terrible for defending takedowns, leg kicks, sweeps. It's, it's bad. And like I was saying, now the meta is leg kicking. Yeah. I mean, people are going as far as to, you know, John Jones does that weird sidekick yeah. to kind of break your knee in backwards which ain't against the rules nope <laughs> and that's and that's such a typical thing in muay thai also like uh, when we're sparring especially if i'm sparring against like one of the more advanced guys they'll throw those little fucking things i'm just like dude this is we gotta fucking chill <laughs> with those leg kicks i don't mind taking like the leg kicks that are like coming from like a rear leg kick or something or like a low leg kick when you're talking about those ones that come 
from the side and they're meant to get you right in the kneecap. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. That shit, we need to chill out with that in the fucking sparring, bro. I'm yeah, I was that. about to say, leave that for like in the ring. That, yeah. that one will take a fighter out of the, training. Thankfully, uh, the, the gym that I go to, uh, Ruckus over here, uh, not far from here, um, they're all the coaches and the guys are, are super chill. Like, but they will throw in some things just to let you know, or for them just to work it out to get the movement down. Yeah. And then when you see them fight for real, they're fucking savages in the ring, bro. I mean, I've seen them like, like just sparring each other, getting ready for fights. I'll sit there and watch them like, dude, these guys are, are wild. Yeah. The elbows and like just how tricky they are with everything. You're just like, I don't want to get hit like that. My like martial arts experiences with, not fun martial arts so yeah. <laughs> what uh are you still trained at all no uh, uh i'll get to that part i got a bad injury in jujitsu mm. but like my uh, uh, i started with like legit self-defense martial arts like krav maga okay and another one was wing chung that i did for a little bit and then i also did wushu which is like chinese martial arts isn't wing chung also like a uh, kung fu yeah but like Wushu is more of like flow and right. form, right? And uh, even though the the different forms you do, uh, what some uh, uh, ignoramuses would call the dances, you know, right? You're they're supposed to be practicing the techniques, but they don't really teach you how to practically use them. Whereas right. Wing Chun's like poke him in the eye, punch him in the throat, kick him in the nuts, yeah, and then keep doing it until they're on the ground. Like, right. yeah, it's so. very quick and like just volume and all that. Whereas yeah. Wushu is more like that's where you see like the hands and mm. like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, like you don't go, you don't earn your grandmaster title in a certain style of Wushu because you punch someone the hardest. Like right. you did the form the most beautiful. Right. Um. So, but those were fun. But like. One unpractical, and the others I could actually accidentally hurt somebody or fuck them up, you know. <laughs> right, so, right. But they're great to know in case I do need to defend myself. But my one experience with what I'll call like a sport martial art was jujitsu, and I was uh, training at Team Nogara down in West Palm Beach. Uh, uh, sensei was Wald Blois, amazing dude. He used to be like Muay Thai champ in Kiritiba, and he got a really bad spinal injury. So the Nogara brothers sent him over to Florida to open up some schools to just train people. Mm. So I got to blue belt in jiu-jitsu, which ain't nothing fancy. But then uh, I was training for a match for Naga, which is the North American Grappling Association. So we were going a little bit harder than sparring. It wasn't a sparring day. It was a we're getting ready for tournament day. And this one guy, I guess, I don't know what happened. He he picked me up and slammed me and in jujitsu when you're about to slam into the mat it's called basing out you kind of smack the mat right i smacked the mat way too early oh, so i'm still oh, in the air dude. my arms like this and i just went and my shoulder shot out the front oh no and like i was like no i'm good and like wald helped me pop it back in i was like oh, i got it no big deal and then literally i could I, I got on the ground again and just the force of trying to move someone's arm popped the shoulder back out and i was like all right I'll go home and, and ice it, and, and then two weeks later, I went back, and it popped right out again, and I was like, oh, man, something's really wrong with my shoulder. So for about six years, I went without getting surgery, and I must have had uh, Chris's nose when we were in college. I would just be in a random sling. Like, yeah, I popped my shoulder out the other day. It was just normal. Oh, my God, um, bro. And I eventually got a surgery and found out that I had no labrum at all. Like, somehow my rotator cuff made it through without a scratch, but... There was no posterior or anterior labrum. They couldn't tell with the MRI. So my like six, four hour surgery turned into something like eight. 
<laughs> hours and they were scared I was going to wake up in the middle of it. And I, my recovery went from three months to five to six months. And I was like, oh, crap. Bro. Yeah. So I haven't trained since the injury just because that like fear of if I dislocate it, I got to miss work or... When I was in school, it's like, oh, I can't even play. I was a drummer. Like, what am I? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, man. And it even affected the way I had to play everything. Like, uh, I got to love in traditional grip because I could just rest my whole arm right here and not have to worry about moving it. And I would just play moving my elbow like this around the kit. Oh, my God. And then, like, with marumba, I couldn't really reach out and hit the whole board because I'd start feeling it shaking. And, like, you can't be shaking when you're trying to play music totally <laughs> yeah man that's always my biggest fear and that's why i tell the gym because like the the coach the main coach wants me to like compete um because i'm getting to a point now where i'm like getting better with my movement and i'm like you know getting better with my striking and stuff and i think i would get wrecked in an actual fight like in an actual tie fight but i think i could i think i'd you know i'd keep him busy you know what i mean so he wants me to compete but i'm like bro i can't Risk break. I mean, I saw two guys training a month ago for a fight, and they weren't even going that hard. It was a Monday morning. Okay, we're talking like eight thirty in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, and they're just doing some some light sparring, just moving around. And homeboy guy's nose broken. Yeah, uh, and I, I sparred the guy afterwards, and he he fucking hit me pretty hard a couple of times and got, got me on a real good leg kick that I didn't feel for like three seconds after it landed. One of those, you know, and then and then I I went run, one round with him and I was done. And I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't compete, man. If I break a nose or even my fingers, even though I'm gloved up, you can still get hurt, you know? Mm -hmm. um, or if I break my wrist or anything, like I'm out of work. I, I play music full time for a living. If I can't sing or play my instrument, I'm fucked. So that's why I don't, that's why I don't really want to compete. Although I think it would be fun. I do get the urge sometimes when I'm sitting there sparring. I'm like, I think I could fucking, I think I could get in there and do something, you know? I think you should at least try something where there's headgear and like no knees or something. You know, I've done the headgear stuff. We, I've like I've gone pretty hard with some of the guys. I had one that when I, when I first started going, one of the coaches caught me with some real good knees, and I've been terrified of knees ever since. Yeah. Right in the fucking sternum plate, oh, yeah, back right to there. back. I dropped both times. It's brutal, bro. But it's it's good. You learn how to get hit. You learn what that feels like, and you become a little less scared every time. You know, you're like, I think I could take that shot. I think your coach is just planting a seed. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, he ain't going to do it, but if I tell him, he'll start thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. That's what happened to me because I said to Wald the same thing. Like, I don't want to compete because I'm a drummer. I don't just need two limbs. I need all four and right. every appendage to work as well. Right. Like, so he was like, oh, you don't have to compete. And then like three months later, he's like, Hey, you're beating up on the blue belts. Do you do you know you think about competing? I was like, no, 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 I don't, because I had this thing where like if I ever got caught in a joint lock, I wouldn't even. There was no like as soon as I felt the kimura starting, to, yeah, you tap, or I'm like this far into the armbar, like I yeah. didn't, I didn't care. Yeah, and yeah. That, at that low of a belt, you don't practice ankle and and knee locks yet. That's only at brown belt and up. Mm. So like I never had to deal with that. But same thing, I would have been like, oh, you got my foot. Like, yeah. I'm not doing this. Totally, man. Totally. And I, and I notice the same thing now. Well, I'll, I'll stop after, like, one round. If I if I know that I'm getting fucking, like, like boxed up, there's just no way I'm going to, like, even hold my own. I'll go around, and at the end of the round, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. And so, you sure? Just one round? I'm like, bro, if I keep going, I'm going to get hurt, and then I can't work, and that's not worth it to me. Yeah. So, I feel that. A little bit of a, a shift here, but you, you obviously you talked about playing drums and all that. So, you... And when we met, I, I met you as a drummer. We used to work at Guitar Center together. 
and I met you, you were a drummer, and then I found out later that you did video production stuff. So let's talk about that journey, a musician, and you're still a musician, but you've made, I think you've made your main focus video stuff, yeah? Yeah, I mean, we, we were all kind of taught multiple streams of revenue. Yeah. And at some point my brain went, maybe it's not all music revenue, but uh, at a young age, I got to learn drums. I'm half Puerto Rican. Mm. So every Sunday was like salsa day. Hell yeah. They'd throw Tito Puente on a record player and hand me claves or uh, get me on the bongos or on the timbales or something. And then sixth grade rolled around and I was like, I'm going to play trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I'm named Miles Dante and it was like a play on Miles Davis. They just didn't want to call me Miles Davis. Okay, it's cool. So I was like, I'm going to do trumpet. And after a year of. <gasps> I was like, nope, I'm switching to drums. Yeah. <laughs> and then I actually dropped out of middle school band. I didn't do high school band because I got a drum set and just started playing in hardcore bands and punk bands. Me and the neighborhood kids would just jam out. Like at the time, it was Azalea Dying was the like okay. a cool metalcore band. Yeah. And that just kind of blossomed into me dropping out of high school to be in a band that was touring. Uh, eventually I was removed from that band. <laughs> so I got very upset and was like, you know what? Fuck this local scene shit. I'm going to become a dope musician. I'm going to know music. I'm going to actually know my craft. I'm going to go to school for music. So like I got my GED, went to Palm Beach State College, did two years there, got my ass handed to me at a state college. Then I transferred, uh, well, I graduated and was like, all right, I'm going to apply to all these universities. I went around the whole state auditioning at every school and every fucking school told me, no, we don't want you. No shit. <laughs> yeah, like, no, you're not, like, not that, no, you're not good enough. But like, I heard it. Like, you're standing outside the door. You're hearing the kid go before you and they're killing it. And then you're like, oh, fuck, now I got to go. Yeah. Which... I don't know. Has Jack Miller been on the show at all? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, so Jack Miller was the one who was in the room before me at UNF. <laughs> and I, I didn't know Jack at the time. I'm like, oh, fuck. I am not getting in this program. I am screwed, dude. I went in there with like zero confidence at UNF because I was like, oh, Danny Gottlieb. Oh, I'm going to be in the jazz program. Yeah. So then UNF sent me the rejection letter, but then like there was another UNF letter and I was like, what the, what the hell? So I opened that up. They're like, we have a new music tech program that will gladly take you in. And I was like, all right, Jacksonville it is. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we got, we have the same story, dude. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like we were good enough for the B team. You know what I mean? They're like, we got this trial thing coming on. You guys can jump on. Yeah. I did the same thing. I was like, I'm going to be a Barry green clone. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to play all my two five ones. Yeah, well, man, I wasn't Oops. even good enough for the B team at UNF Jazz. I, oh, I mean, I didn't get in any combos or anything. <laughs> yeah, you know dude, what I they mean? let me do one combo and said, if you do good enough, we might fully move you into the jazz program. And then um, who's the dope bass player from LPT? Stan, Stan Piper. Stan. Stan was my uh, freaking combo director. And I was bombing like every day. <laughs> I was honestly at home practicing as hard as I could. But I'm a metal drummer. So like... I did that for years, and then I only had two years of stepping out of that idiom while I'm going up against people who have been doing it like their whole time at high school or whatever. Right. So Stan was like, uh, get off the kit. Let me play this one. And I was like, oh, okay, he's a bass player. How good is he going to do? <laughs> Stan can play some drums, yo. Really? He yeah. showed me the fuck up. 
I was just so embarrassed. The rest of the combo, I was like, all I can do is try to play like Stan. <laughs> and like, I eventually was like, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to switch totally over to percussion instead of drum set and, and really focus in on the tech part of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people don't talk about that as much. I feel like where like people say, well, you went to music school, so you got it. So you're good. It's like, well, no, you already have to be good to get into those programs. Oh, yeah. You get tested. Like, your reading chops have to be there. You have to, like, know like what you're doing before you even walk into one of those rooms. I'm not saying that you're, like, gig ready or that you've got all the experience. But as a player, you have to have the chops already there before. So, like, people that talk about, well, you went to college for music, so obviously you're good. It's like, that's not what it was, bro. That's just, like... You know, it it came before that. I feel like for for most people, it had yeah. to. Yeah, and I think the the biggest pitfalls for me was like I was everything that was normal for music college. I had only been doing for two years, you know, and like honestly, maybe just a year because that first year at community college music, you're learning all the baby stuff. Right. You know, I'm not really facing the chart, just reading sheet music and sight reading all the time. You right. know, so I was incredibly behind all i had was the will to not give the fuck up yeah and like uh the the classical instructor saw that charlotte mabry kevin gary two best professors i've ever had also frank derrick was my drum teacher at, at pbsc he he let me play whatever i want he's like so what do you want to do for juries this year and i'd show him this crazy uh, song by animals as leaders and I'm like, here, I transcribed the whole thing as best as I could. This is what I want to play. Wow. And he's looking at me like, Miles, I can't even play this. I can just tell you if it sounds right or not. You know, <laughs> like, so Charlotte and Kevin saw that and they, um, they, they really helped me take what music school teaches you and apply it to what it is I wanted to play. Cause my heart ain't in classical music or jazz or what the fuck else was going on there. It That's was it. metal music. So like, yeah. I really enjoyed that they recognized that, helped me stay there. They're like, you got to do these things if you want to stay. So they'd force me down some paths I did not want to go down, but I still did. And now I'm thankful for like all of it. Made me a great drummer. And through that time in college, I was like always making these really terrible drum covers, like just one GoPro. And like I'm just playing to some random metal song. They're all over my YouTube. And then eventually through the tech program, mm -hmm. Chris knows him. I got in with Alex Hayward. He opened up a studio in town where a lot of us tech students were working out of to get our chops. And at the end of the night, when we were done working, I would go in there, set up a drum set and record a drum cover. Then like we worked at Guitar Center. Mm -hmm. So my hustling ass was like, I'm going to start telling all these drummers I do drum covers and charge them like $150. And I would spend hours setting up hours micing hours mixing hours editing the video which i had no idea how the fuck to do the only thing that i had to fall back on was like all the experience with the music recording apps you know one of the best things is know all your your key shortcuts i used to print out the pro tools <laughs> keyboard shortcuts and have it next to the keyboard and eventually blew it up into a giant poster that i had on my wall mm -hmm. so and i was like wait how the fuck do i do that i just have to look up and after doing that so many times you can't forget it and you just remember it and i took that experience into the video editing side and i took my music experience into the video filming side like i had no idea that like one of the cool ways to cut fun edits is to cut to the beat of the music yeah my ass was just like ah, oh, the best time to change this camera angle is right here on the downbeat you know and so i started filming a ton of drum covers for a bunch of local drummers greg was one of them mm. uh he was actually actually one of the cool first ones that i had ever done 
And uh, eventually it grew just out of the studio. You know, people wanted me to film outside of there. So I just kept rolling with that. And next thing you know, like video took over. I wasn't doing sound anymore. I wasn't recording anything. It was all video, 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 video. And I started off by just grinding out drum covers and, and music videos until I'm here today where I'm working for like MTV and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to me because I, I feel like there's obviously there's a route for music in Jacksonville. You can go a lot of different routes here. But then, but what, what about video that made it, made you kind of go down? Was it like a void that there wasn't being filled here? Was there not like a lot of video stuff happening? It was just like, well, I know how to do that. I'm going to, I'm just getting more work for this versus a music thing. Maybe the music thing is saturated. I don't know. Like, like what, why was it video that you started going down when you're so equally, you know, apt at all of them? I think it's like partly the opportunity that was there. Yeah. You know, like Jax is stacked with amazing drummers and it's not stacked with amazing metal bands. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, there wasn't like any gaps I could fill in the genre that I loved. And uh, I just fell in love with making videos. It was just, it ended up being just as fun as figuring out how to play drum songs or going through the gear and how to rig the drum set the best way. It's the same. Some of the drum gear looks exactly like fucking video gear. So like when people are like, oh, you got to rig it to the right to keep it safe. I'm like, duh, that's what you got to do to all your cymbals. Mm. <laughs> you know, but now instead of a cymbal, it's a, you know, 30 pound light right above someone's head. Okay. Yeah. Cause if like to explain it, if, you know, if the lights to the right, the weight is going to tighten that knob down. Right. Whereas if you pad it to the left, that weight might actually loosen it and eventually it'll fall down. Okay. Which is something you run into as a drummer if you do your boom arms wrong because you're like beating them and then eventually you'll see the boom arm fall. Right. It's like, dude, dude you put it on backwards. Like, oh, so, interesting. Uh, but like a lot of the music knowledge translated so well to doing video, like the pacing of a song yep. is the pacing of an edit. Totally. Uh, dynamics and music is is how lighting makes a scene go from flat to having depth. And same thing, dynamics of music, the dynamics of your shot, like how you're following somebody. I'm huge on one shots. And the only reason I think I'm so good at it is because I just think of it like a song the whole time. Um, and then that, and I, I really missed college. Like when we graduated, I missed college so bad. I missed it. Like it was like freaking knowledge, skill craft boot camp. And when it was over, I fell definitely into like a deep three-month depression where I was like, fuck, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Not every day is wake up. Like there was one morning I got up and got all ready and got all the way to the car and was like, there's no fucking school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> like, That's too funny, bro. Yeah. Like I got up one Saturday like, shit, I don't want to go to UNF and practice shit i don't have to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny like that thought coming out of school where it kind of illuminates this idea of uh, like the bubble that i think you live in when you're at when you're at school it's like like that that idea of graduating and all of a sudden it's like well now I can, now the learning is done it's like nah dude it's just starting and i'm sure you can attest to that yeah coming out of school and like getting it i mean okay you've learned some technical things but then there's just on the job training that you just that you're never going to get in the classroom and like things you're not taught about i feel like that just are going to come up that you're gonna have to learn on the go that experience of yeah. just doing it for hundreds of hours yeah but i just treated video like school like i like i had charlotte and kevin i found 
a video version of Charlotte and Kevin. I was hitting up all the local DPs, directors, or whatever that I liked. I joined this group called Jack's Film Group. Shout out to them and Jay Palmer, like people that got me from little, like pulled me out of the dirt and said, hey, keep doing this, you know? And and I, I made sure to always have a mentor, always have somebody to be able to bother with questions like you could your professor. I would put myself through my own juries. Like I would find a group of filmmakers online or or another uh, great podcast, uh, Black With No Cream. Mm, it's all one, for yeah. like uh, content creators, photographers, videographers. They even have musicians on there. Um, you know, I joined that group and I would like create a little group text with just certain people like, hey, I've noticed we all do the same thing. We should all be able to talk outside of Black With No Cream and let's once a month like make a passion project where we all scrutinize the living fuck out of each other. Huh. I don't want to hear anything nice because literally that's how juries are. Yeah. The jury forum doesn't go, you did a great job. Not never, not even once. No, <laughs> right. and they don't even say shit. To you. Like you finish the song and you're like, I killed it, and you look at them and like they ain't looking at me. Like I killed it. <laughs> like I really wanted to relive that. Like uh, uh I don't know, kind of like a forced get the fuck better. Yeah, totally. So I was doing that with a bunch of ki those people. Um, you know, just making sure I threw myself into the mix and always learning, learn something new every day, practice a new editing technique every day. Instead of having a two-hour class on music history, I put myself through two hours of YouTube videos on the history of film and like why the fuck 24 frames a second is even 24 frames a second because that's how fast the film reel would move. Mm. So like, and the shutter and like shutter speed and all that stuff, why it is the way it is. Like we're used to ISO just being this like digital number that we dial in. But like back in the day, you picked ISO X film because that's how bright it would get. It's literally the crystals you put on when you're trying to develop a oh, film. Oh, wow. So I, I forced myself through all that. I'd watch these long four-hour videos of someone dissecting Steven Spielberg's cinematography and why he shot it the way that he did. Like, uh, one that sticks with me is the scene from E.T. where they're outside and you see the whole neighborhood and then it pans over and zooms all the way up to all these people walking. And, like, the, I didn't even have an idea is that this person walking motivates the camera that way. And then you have someone cross-screen and it goes all the way up to the kid. And then they like say one line and it cuts. And it was like all that work, no dialogue, but you felt like you were in that scene because of the way he shot it. Yeah. So I just did that. I paid for every freaking, are you a filmmaker that's brand new? Buy this $1,000 subscription and you can get all these videos to learn. I bought like so many of those yeah. things. <laughs> I'd, I'd message that little group chat I made and be like, hey guys, if we all pitch in 200 bucks and just share the login, we can just use it whenever the fuck we want. So I was wow. like, I was hustling the knowledge. I was like, like when we illegally download the school books, like I was <laughs> doing the same thing. I just retreated it all at college until it just got to a point where I had carved something out for myself. But without the music past and the music experience, I wouldn't have known any of y'all to do most of my dope videos that I've done. Right. Like it was all, I kind of like rehashed my music network into something that worked for me. Right. 
Uh, speaking of hashtag release the video time wise, it's coming out the well. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag we're gonna start the hashtag release the video. I guess we're just gonna do our intro for the episode now then because I was gonna talk about no, it. No, but no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just call me out. That's fine. <laughs> let let it fucking ride, bro. Oh, it's yeah. We're Chris gonna was like it. Miles. The shots were dope. I'll make a couple reels with those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing: your, your shots were dope. Our playing was ass. So like, nah. it's a real one-two punch. No, to be the like, playing was was good and and you know it was crazy bro i didn't realize i want to get back to what you were talking about is that there's so many questions that i have i find super mm-hmm. interesting but i didn't like the 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 6100s and the a7 like they don't i mean there's a cinematic quality to the a7 that the 6100 doesn't have but i mean you, you were able to color correct them and get them to the point where they don't really look yeah. There's not a huge difference until you start to zoom in. The A7 has a much cleaner, yeah. obviously, but like if at a, at a distance, like the Ace, like, like the 6100s look, look pretty good. I mean, it's comparable. It's nice because y- you know we all we're within the Sony ecosystem on that gig. For I guess the viewers who don't understand. I helped film this time-wise video that's not out. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be out by the time this episode's out. I'm a We're Sony t-shirts, bro. I'm a Sony fanboy. Anton has a bunch of Sonys, so my technical ass was like, "Yo, perfect! Like they'll be able to color match these. It's all the same color science, arguably." So that's luckily you had that because if these yeah. were all Canons, it would I would have had to help you get that to match a bit better. It would have been tricky. Yeah, but the 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 only reason the A7 looks a bit nicer is that full frame sensor, and specifically my camera is low megapixel but bigger pixels, mm. so it's like a fucking vacuum of light. Okay, um, I see. But you can make honestly make shit footage look great. You just gotta get enough light hitting that sensor, and thanks to stage lighting, there is enough light hitting that sensor, so you can get something out of it. Yeah, next time I want to bring a couple extra lights to have on deck and like. I know it's not my show, so it's like, yeah. but but to advertise it as like a live video shoot and then like get people in the room more and then like have the lights up. I kind of feel like it adds to the experience of the people that are there too. Like when they buy a ticket, it really, it's like, oh man, we're walking into like a real production here, you know? With the way I shoot, I feel like I ruined people's experiences. <laughs> I'm all up in their I've, way. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you were able to edit it down to where you, you didn't see Miles at all in those shots. No, I was. I made sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you were there. I just had to edit around you. It's, well, you know, it was good. I've made enough of those mistakes yeah, to, yeah. to know what to do when I was shooting for you guys. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, it was funny too. Like when I was when I was putting this all together, our, our like manager of the band doesn't know anything and he had a photographer coming out and he had you out there and he goes is the photographer gonna gonna clip him in the shots or is vice versa and i'm like no dude they do this for a living you know what i mean like yeah he was so worried plus the photographer can easily remove me and also (laughs) shoot around me whereas i can't yeah so i'm way more glad the photographer stayed out of my way than the other way around which that was donnie right it was Donnie. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. me and donnie have done so much stuff together so y'all know how to ballet around each other Mm -hmm. and yeah it looked everything his shots look great your shots look great it was it was dope yeah for sure um i want to go back real quick because the this idea of like hustling for the information i think is super cool and but i'm always like skeptical about like those those you know those how-to packages that, you, that people buy so you've obviously got a lot of experience with them i've never bought them because I, I think they're kind of bullshit but do you, am i wrong about that did you do you feel like they're worth the money that you spent on them they're fucking bullshit okay <laughs> except the last like 20 percent of it okay 
um, especially if you're getting like a, let's say one of your viewers is like, I want to learn how to mix. You know, I really want to get better at mixing. So they go and buy one of those. If they're like fresh off the block, they don't even know what a fucking fader is or what DB means. It'll be very useful for them. Right. But at that point, I had already, I already know shutter speed and you got to do double the shutter speed of your frame rate. And like, I knew all of that technical stuff. So really the only things that helped me out of a lot of the video versions of these was, um, there's always like this extra content, like uh, a full on BTS of shooting a music video, like three hour long video, uh, uh, like of them just why we did this and this is the shot and blah, 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 so that I could know how to operate on set. And also, if you will, gain inspiration for some of my own shots because that's my favorite thing to do with video. I've noticed a lot of video people get all kind of booty hurt about, oh, they copied me or they took my content. But like musician will be like, yo, I can tell the inspiration. That's awesome. Yeah, That doesn't exist <laughs> in mm. the video world at a certain level. I think at the higher end, everyone gets it too. Yeah, But on that, the where I'm at in the video world, there's quite a few people that get a little pissy about stealing shots and stuff. I understand when you're trying to make a name for yourself and like you haven't established anything yet and then you see people doing what you're doing. You're like, hey man, I haven't even gotten noticed for this yet. I appreciate it, but let me, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah so I, because if you get noticed for it, then it's like they, I don't know. I get it, you know, but yeah. Well, not even, like I'm talking same people on the same level, you know, getting mad. Like you stole my shot. I'm like, dude, holding the camera and going like this. We all do that. What? Right, <laughs> like, right. Uh, yeah, but the, a lot of those packs for me were were bullshit, except for like the last half. But any of the, what I would call them was like secret spillers, because like unless you worked on set to see how someone was lighting that. You don't see where the lights are in the shot. You just see what the lights did to the shot. So to be able to see those BTS shots of this is where the light was and this is what the power was at and this is why they chose this modifier and angled it this way and blah, blah, blah were, mm. were some of the best helps for me. Uh, the, That's really what you're paying for is that information right there. The rest is just kind of filler. Yeah. It's like it's like we're going to fill we're gonna fill the time or the paper up with this information to make it look like you're paying for this whole thing when really all you need is this last paragraph of shit. Yeah, yeah. But the most helpful one was this pack of stuff from these guys called Buff Nerds. And now they've evolved into having like video assets called Tropic something. And then they also got uh, camera accessories called Prism Lens Effects. I think his name's Jacob. His videos were the best out of all of them. If you're a videographer listening, check out Jacob's stuff and buy all their stuff if you're really trying to learn because that was like the thank you for out of all of them. Mm. Yeah, but uh, I haven't bought any music ones, but I would venture to say it's the same it's thing. It's probably the same shit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the music stuff, you know, I th it's kind of like what you're saying. Once you've learned enough on your own, the rest of it kind of becomes intuitive. So there's like, there's, there, I'm sure there are things in there that I'm not aware of, but the ones that get me the most, and I'm curious about your experience with this because we've talked about... Um, like, because we've been doing video production stuff, obviously with bottom of the bill, and I've kind of picked your, we've sat down, and I've picked your brain about some, some of the business side of it more than anything, and those are the ones that always get me because I don't, I certainly don't trust anybody trying to sell me marketing advice, right? Have you bought any of those? Because you're, you know, and it's it's crazy to me that you've done this deep dive on the art side of it and the technical side of it so much, but you also seem at least to have a, like a savvy business mind when it comes to it as well. 
was that all just on the job training or were you also buying, you know, marketing packages and things that kind of taught you about that? No, just YouTube has enough information for marketing to where you don't need to buy it. Yeah. The, uh, I think also that that knowledge shouldn't be behind a paywall. Totally. Um, like, like what, uh, in terms of YouTube, like what YouTube wants right now, you can easily Google. They want 10 minute videos. You got to have eight minutes minimum to get your ad roll so you can get paid for the video. Right. And like, you know, what's working, why thumbnails all look the way they fucking do with someone going like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and all that shit like that, that is truly the secrets. I think that, kind of nail the algorithm because it's all about catching algorithms now and it's also i don't think like people people talk about you know people are looking for this this one thing right like the secret trick that's going to just make you get go viral and i just don't think that that exists i think that there's like a, a culmination of things that you do consistently over time that's like okay you've you've done things that have helped to maximize your visibility as much as possible and now you just caught something it wasn't just one hashtag that you used or it wasn't a thumbnail that did it it's just it's the 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 culmination of everything over time consistently working now yeah i think you're totally right on that it's it's not ever gonna be one thing and then one thing i've noticed a lot of people they don't really do because they're so focused on all this other stuff or throwing money like doing the paid ads engagement you gotta engage your community uh take a note from streamers yeah that's all streamers are is community engagement and look at some of them they have freaking 120,000 people watching you for four hours doing nothing but playing games or just watching random videos that people are saying to watch goddamn qxc just has a dual contract to stream on twitch and kick if he was an athlete, he's like the number seventh most paid athlete in the world. His contract with Kick was bigger than a lot of NBA contracts. That's wild. And he does nothing but engage with his community 24-7. And that's the thing that, like, you know, engaging content. Is, we, and, you know, Chris has been doing a phenomenal job with our clips and making <clears throat> them look a lot better. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and we've been noticing engagement going up on that stuff because... It's first off making the experience a little interactive, right? Opening up the conversation so people can get involved, which speaking of, if you're enjoying it, you have anything to throw in, throw it in the comments. <laughs> um, but like just stupid shit like that, where it's like, it's, it's not even stupid. People want to feel like they're a part of the thing that's happening. The reason why these streamers make money on, on gaming is because they're not only speaking to their audience live in real time, but the, it's also like, hey, do this and I'll do this type thing. Contribute this, whether it's a stupid emoji or like a thing or it's a dollar, whatever it is, contribute this and I will actively do this in the game now. And then you get to see the result of your work through me vicariously. So it's all about just engaging in interaction and an immersive experience, especially today. Yeah. And I, I feel like non-streamers can pull, you know, a couple pages from them with community engagement, especially with podcasts. It's like hanging out. Yeah, exactly. And while they can't comment live or whatever, like you guys do read those comments and you'll take suggestions in the play or someone might be like, this should be your next guest. You would have never thought of them. And like that one person will might be the only motherfucker that gives a shit that you got this guy on your podcast. But then he's going to go, 
to all of his friends, bro, guess who they got on? And he's going to show you to a whole new audience. I mean, that's how I've met every streamer was because another friend got engagement back from that streamer and I checked it out just to see what they, what happened. And then lo and behold, like now I watch Pay Money Wubby as much as I can or, <laughs> or Charlie uh, Moist Critical. He's another cool streamer. A lot of people say I look like him. Uh, he He's great too. And I love that. I love that shit. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm always responding to people on uh on youtube on the comments and then like messages i get on the pages through bottom of the bill or when we had side hustle i was that too in my personal page chris is really good about staying up on the tiktok stuff mm -hmm. and uh we kind of go back and forth on the instagram thing yeah but like it's been just making sure that you're engaged like people are taking time like that's the one resource that we don't have anymore of is time people are taking that and they're consuming your product I think, if, and if, especially if they're taking the time to interact with you, I think you owe it to them to interact back, you know? And so I think it's super important and it helps. But, you know, I'm still trying to figure out the whole community aspect because I think, you know, there are certainly things that we can do on this podcast to try and make it more community-based. Like, I don't know. I mean, we've done like, some live podcasts and done things to try and get... But, you know, I'm always thinking about the next thing to try and, you know, get it more engaging, you know? It's tough for podcasts. It's a, a, a unique puzzle. Yeah. Uh, but like for in context as like a, a musician or, or a videographer, any kind of creator out there, fine artist, like whatever it is, I don't know how many messages I get. Hey man, what camera are you using? Hey man, what light is that? Yeah. Hey man, what are you editing? Hey man, what's your computer like? Hey man, how do you, what gimbal do you have? What are your gimbal settings? Yeah. <laughs> and not one of those fuckers, I won't tell. I'll tell them everything. Yeah, please, please take my settings, buy my exact kit. Do Try to be me. Yeah. One, it's flattering as hell. Two, I know you ain't got the experience, so you can't. So what am I threatened by? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I don't know how many videographers I hit up when I was first starting that were like, that's like a secret, man. You got to put your time in and you'll learn yeah. it. Or, or like, a, I'll leave his name out of it. He's a videographer, so no one will fucking know him. But he makes these dope car videos out of uh, Washington State. And I thought his shit was dope. He was really inspiring because on top of music videos, I love making car content, which I still do to this day. And I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I got this gear and this stuff. Here's one of the videos I've made. I'm really curious at this one specific shot what you did to make that happen. And he straight up just like told me off. And then he like clipped my message with my name deleted and posted me in a story and was like, y'all are so annoying. Where, 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 cry, cry, cry. And it's like, oh, fuck, you have fans. <laughs> oh my God, dude, what a piece of shit. But like when you're at his level, that ended up just being good, good, bad press is good press. You know, he got a ton of engagement off that. A bunch of people roasted me in the comments. Oh, everyone begs you for your camera stuff. And I was like, did I hate that? But like, that'd be like my version of engagement when someone's like, Hey man, I love your stuff. I'd love to work on set with you. Like I'd love to have every one of you on that asked me that. I try my best. Not every gig I do is just my gig. Right. Like if money's on the line or I'm hired on, like with time wise, mm -hmm. I can't I can't just bring someone I've never met in person but happens to live in the city with me. I'd love to. And like when I do have those gigs, I do hit those people up. And I make sure the whole time, like any questions you got ask them. This is my gig. We can take as long as we fucking want. I'm literally here to help you and make this video at that point. And those people were all the one, every time I post a story, they're always engaging with me. I engage back. If I post some dope reel, they're the people that always repost it for me. And it's because I went, like you were saying, that extra mile to just talk to them. Because it's like, how do I make my job 
community based other than helping the community get better exactly and, exactly yeah i follow this one car content creator who has like a whole discord and he takes in all the little scrubs that are trying to make car videos and just recently i made like a car reel and he messaged me and he's like bro this has to be in my react video please upload it and i'll put it in there and i was like cool i'll probably be in the middle he saved my ass until the end. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's flattering. Thank you, dude. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. But that I think that's the way to do it. You know, you might might uh, look into a, a kind of chat platform like Discord. Yeah. Where when you guys are sleeping, motherfuckers can still be in there chatting it up with themselves or getting in the voice chats or going in and sharing their stream like and all that kind of stuff so they can... Like you know, that community is there now, whether you're you're replying to them or not. Right, right, yeah. yeah you want to create the culture, right? It's like that. Like it, it becomes self-sustaining after a while. You know, like the conversation. Like you're just in the ether of the conversation. Yep. You know, that's that's the whole goal with literally any endeavor, whether it be bands or podcasts or streaming. It's just about creating a culture within the brand. Yeah. Ultimately, you know. Yep. Um, bro, this has been fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we want to do some unpopular opinions. Oh God. Sure. <laughs> Let's see what you got, Chris. Um, tea is gross. Yeah. Tea is gross. Tea, tea is disgusting. I have not found, I'm talking warm tea, sweet tea. I have not found any tea that I have enjoyed. I'm just not a tea connoisseur. I think it's gross. Uh, I like, I've grown to like tea as I've gotten older. I didn't used to like it, but I think now... It helps if I'm like sick or if I have like a throat thing where I need to sing. Mm -hmm. It helps like coat like some some teas like good for coating your throat. Yeah, so things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna, like, gonna make it just because I'm craving tea. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's what you got, huh? <laughs> if I need if I need something like that, I'll put some lemon in some hot water or something. Like I'm just not gonna go the route of tea. Some people like live and die by by that shit like sweet tea you oh, i know, know what I mean? well, that's the thing i'm a bad southerner i'm from the backwoods of kakalaki like yeah it's surprising sweet tea is the practically the national anthem of drinks <laughs> backwoods <Yeah>. of what <laughs> <laughs> it's the backwoods of kakalaki you know? you've never heard that before that's how Southerners say Carolinas. <laughs> I ain't never heard that one. <laughs> Son, you got some learning to do. You're from South Florida, though, right? Yeah, I'm from West Palm. West so Palm. when yeah. I moved up here, it was the opposite. I thought going north, it'd get more north, but it actually got more south. It gets more oh, south. Yeah. Bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got Anton hip on all kinds of sayings and pronunciations. and every, I mean, the first five years of our friendship would be, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you looking at me like that for? I said that shit my whole life. <laughs> the, the closest thing we had in South Florida is I'm from like Pembroke Pines. So the closest thing I had was Davy to like the South or like you go out way West to the Everglades and you have like the swamp people, but like the muck. Yeah. But we don't interact with them. That's a whole different breed of people out yeah. there. So like Davy was the closest thing. And you had some, some of that Southern stuff, like some of the older barn looking stores and like, horses riding around but like that was a small little pocket in this huge urban spread suburban spread of dade broward and palm beach county you know so a lot of the shit like a southern accent 
was rare to hear down south. I mean, you, I mean, you hardly ever heard one. Then coming up here, almost everyone has one, comparatively speaking. And then you have Chris saying shit like, "What were you like? Come oh, up, dude. cloud? Yeah, or like, or like, um, I just, God, there's just too many of them. Uh, the, you know, but what's like, a holler? A, a fucking a holler? holler. Um, ask him if, if somebody ate yet. G yet? G yet? Yeah, G. I'm like, G yet? Like what? Yeah, not even sh- yet. Just yeah. G, G, yeah, G, yeah. <laughs> well, and I, like, I, get, I get called out for this all the time. Like when I'm just talking about my parents, I'll just be like, "Yeah, mom and dad." And then everyone's like, "What do you mean, my mom and my dad?" I'm like, "No, mom and dad." You know, it's like I was talking to mom on the phone earlier, and they're just like, <laughs> "People don't talk like that." I'm like, "The fuck, they don't." Yeah, it's just a different world, you know. And then and here in Jacksonville, there's the big Southern culture as well. It's predominantly Southern. Even though people here make the argument that it's not the South, I'm like, dude, I'm not from the South. It's the South this light. This is the South. It's the South light. No, I don't I'm know, from bro. The, bro, I, you're you're from like the like the backwoods South, though. That's Jackson, the South. Okay, but like there's also Southern cities, though, right? Like Atlanta is the South. It's a city. It's South in the light. South. It's South light. <laughs> nah, dude. I Atlanta's came from the Southern South. Fuck, it's bro. the South light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There it is. See, I'll drink I'll drink South Light, but not sweet tea. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's southern as it's southern as shit, but like it's still city shit. Like I moved I've told you this a million times. I moved to Jacksonville, I'm like, I moved to the big city. I'm yeah. cultured now and this and that. And he moved here and goes, Oh, I've fucking downgraded my whole entire well, life. Let me, That's let how me, I felt. Let, <laughs> let, let me say I don't feel like I downgraded. I feel like right. I got um a more, I was getting a more universally American experience. Sure, there it yeah. is. Right? Because like, because <laughs> like down south, it's all these different cultures, right? And then, and there's just, and like southern culture is one that's kind of omitted. It's just, it's it's there, but it's not really there. Coming here where it's like the dominant thing, like people hunt and fish here. And like there's, there's like, and they go and, you know, it's, there's, an, there's a whole ecosystem here around the Southern culture. That's just not really a big thing down South. I don't know. So I don't think it's, I certainly don't think it's a downgrade, Jesus Christ, well, but I think it's, it's just a different, it's, it's more of a, of what you think of a, of a Southern experience. I think that was so poetic. <laughs> well, is that, I want to be clear about that because I like Jacksonville. It's not a yeah, downgrade. Yeah. It's just a different experience, you know. It's Southern Georgia. Yeah, exactly. It's not it Northern Florida. Exactly. <laughs> the rest of fucking Florida too, bro. Orlando's Southern as shit. And once you're outside of the main city, like 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 downtown Orlando reminds me a lot of Fort Lauderdale. But like once you're outside of the city, you get into the suburbs. It's like, oh no, we're we're in the south. Yeah, back in the south, real T- quick. Tampa's yeah. the same shit. Tampa's got a big Cuban population, so we we would drive through Tampa, and like the downtown area kind of looks like a much more tame version of Miami. So like, at least when you're driving the skyline, kind of. So we'd be driving there like on tour or whatever, and Sean would just be like. Uh, Tampa. It's like Miami light. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but even still outside of downtown, it's fucking Southern as shit, man. So I don't know. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's we, what I so got. T sucks. Okay. Sucks. All right. <laughs> Miles, what you got for an unpopular opinion? I've been trying to think this whole time. Or you got fucking one in you. I know you do. I'm ADHD. So it's like I blurt unpopular opinions out okay so <laughs> you want me to do one and then yeah, you come go, back to you, you. okay <laughs> here's my unpopular opinion and maybe it's not unpopular i don't know um it's kind of like a new thing but uh inst- like 
Instagram threads can what what are we doing, guys? Uh, it's it's Mark Zuckerberg's like personal diary at this point. Bro, it makes <laughs> no fucking sense. Okay, so you wanna be Twitter, but you can't use hashtags, so nothing is searchable. So it'll be like Facebook, but with a Twitter user interface, I don't know. It just it it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I, 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 for like the first few weeks that I had it, I hopped on like, like day three or four of them announcing that it was a thing. And I started making posts. I'll get in on it early. I'll, I'll be active. I'll make, make posts. I'll, uh, nothing gets engagement on there for a lot of, even I've seen like people with huge followings on Instagram and other platforms and their engagement is like, they're getting four or five likes on a, on a threads post, like no comments. I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? This is not going to beat Twitter. It's just not, especially if nothing is, like, there's no hashtags, nothing is searchable. You're not going to compete with Twitter on this front. That's just what happens when you're given a gift you didn't ask for. There's, like... Twitter? Yeah, X. Sorry, my (laughs) bad. You're right. You're right. My bad. (laughs) Jesus Christ. There's a fucking name that's just ingrained into the culture. Oh, it's not good. It's still Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? I don't care. That's... Yeah. Sorry, Musk. You're not getting rid of Twitter that easily. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't like Instagram threads. I tried with, I've been trying with it and it's just not like a, something I, I want to waste time doing. I never got one just cause like I didn't see the hype. I don't have a Twitter either. Yeah. And like there was also just like the, oh, you can't delete it. You have to delete your Instagram if you want to delete threads. And I'm like, ah, that sounds stupid. Can't delete something I'm not going to use. Great. Not going to get it. I mean, it doesn't hurt to exist on it, I guess, just in case, but I just, I don't know. I don't like I don't like right. it. It's not like a like a fun. Like I enjoy being on Instagram. Yeah. I enjoy being on TikTok. I hate being on Facebook, and that's what Instagram rem- or Threads reminds me of. It reminds me of Facebook, but much more limited. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll play off of that. I fucking hate TikTok. You hate TikTok? It has nothing to do with political whatever. It's just it's like ruining art. <laughs> okay, I can well. Okay, so talk about that. What do you, why, what do you think about what, what do you think is ruining art? Why? It's like 10, 20 years ago, the internet wasn't such a fucking cesspool. Like it had its cesspools, but now if you want to truly find a dope artist that you connect with, how many fucking times did you have to swipe up? It's just like digging through a cesspool of shit tier memes, shitty content, influencers that fucking suck. And like I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to dig through shit to find some gold. Okay. <laughs> and like, there's so much shit now that it's it's muddled the idea of what good is. Like I already said it earlier, I love shitty martial arts films. Yeah. But on the same token, some of my favorite memes or creators, they don't make good content at all. It's total fucking dumb shit. Right. And I can't stand that. My dumbass chose an art form that requires skill and and freaking dedication and you pump out this dope video for it to just get lost in the feed of like the bullshit that TikTok has created. My favorite era of Instagram was when there was videos but before reels. Yeah. I felt like there was some really good content being pushed out but also a lot of really good artists were able to do their thing. But now I know some fine artists where they have less time to spend on their fine art and their paintings because they're busy fucking making sure their time lapse was good so that people actually see their shit. Right. And like, I guess it's cool, but I feel like it's going to push to a level that starts fucking shit up. And now we're at the point where AI is like 
not that it's going to steal our jobs. They'll never be able to replace human interaction and emotion, but it's starting to rear its head in now. And that's because of this insatiable need for short content to just be fucking chugged like it's a beer, you know? Yeah, like, totally. I don't totally disagree with that, but I think that every generation has a form of that. Okay, if you think about like going, like I, I listened to some of like the older heads in music talking about going to the record stores when they were younger and just sifting through records. Mm -hmm. And and like a lot of it, man, I mean, people talk about music now being saturated. It was never not saturated, not to the point that it is now, obviously, but labels weren't investing in projects and putting out records at alarming rates back then too. And to find real gold, you had to sift through a lot of bullshit. And you actually had to get up, go to the store, and sit there and read through the credits to find out, oh, who's this producer? Who played on this? Who played on that? And then you're, and then, and then listen to the shit only to realize that you don't like it or it is actually shit. And then make mental notes of this producer, these artists that you don't want to fuck with anymore. So, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's maybe exists at a, at a more at a, at a faster rate now. Like there's more shit to keep track of at a quicker rate. But I don't know that it's. Um, a different dynamic. I think it's always going to be quick, like exponentially quicker than the previous generation. But then also, I think that there is an art to to having you know a minute or a minute and a half to craft something engaging with through, with the art that you already created, right? So like taking down like you know using using clips like a lot of stand-ups will take will clip out their specials. And you know, and put up you know the the text, and then how how can you make the captions engaging? Well, okay, we can do this, this, and this, and then we see that that engagement's working, and then we're actually getting our our comedy out there. And I think musicians are kind of doing the same thing. And I think I don't know. I think there it, you can definitely make it creative, and there are a lot of, a lot of content creators out there that are that are making it creative. I think you know, it's definitely a double edged sword. Yeah, but like with the record store example, like. That taught you to appreciate the good music, right? Yeah. But now I feel like it's moving so fast that you're just numb to what is good and what isn't. Mm, yeah. And it's just like a, 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 like I said, a giant cesspool you have to dig through now. That's true. Because if you think about like, like I'll be scrolling oftentimes like through stuff and then I might just scroll past something that's dope just because I'm on a, on, on a loop right now and I don't mm -hmm. want to spend, if I, if it's like, oh man, this looks really good, but I don't feel like watching a minute of, I just want to see a quick 15 second thing that's going to get me laughing real quick, you know, and I'll skip it. So I, maybe there is something to that where like I'm almost craving like shitty content because I don't have the, the bandwidth to deal with good content because I've been consuming so much shit for the last, you know, mm -hmm. 20 minutes of my life. I would just like to see these rich fucks stop trying to have a fake MMA fight yeah, <laughs> and make a platform that like is there for artists. Cause like even bands don't release full albums. Like what I love metal, some of the biggest metal bands that I like, they ain't doing albums. They know shit moves so quick that they come out with one song. Yeah. Super produced with a dope music video and special merch just for that. Like every three months, right? Or like twice a year, right? And they get more views and engagement off doing that than they would have spent doing a whole album and going through the same old motions. Yeah, people, Spotify and the streaming platforms work in the same capacity that the social media platforms work. It's a little different, but the idea is the same. As in, and there's an algorithm, and the more you're taking advantage of the platform by 
putting music out, the more engagement it gets on their platform. And then you're just going to get more visibility by that happening. So if you're producing an album, you know, like traditionally you have like your 18 month album cycles. Well, the machine wants more than that now. So maybe don't do a whole album, maybe do like a single every six months or every three months or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easier to backlog because now you can do an album's worth of work, but don't blow your load, you know, right? Just backlog and set and put out, you know, a song every two months for, you know, a year. And then in that process, you can be working on the next thing. So the next year, you're geared up to have the next thing ready, you know? Yeah, I, I guess a good example to explain, like, where my hate, 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 hate is coming from is, like, for example, the motherfucking Island Boys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the song's already in your heads. Yeah, yeah. And, like, we all know so many amazing musicians with amazing songs that equally got stuck in your head, but because they didn't, do some stupid TikTok shit. They're still playing locally and they don't get the recognition they deserve. Meanwhile, the Island Boys with their fake veneers are literally kissing each other on OnlyFans. Yeah. It's did you fun. know that, Chris? I did not know that. Oh, yeah. They have an OnlyFans where they're kissing each other now because that's what they need to do to stay relevant. So it just circles back to like, yeah, I'm an Island Boy. It was cool. I dug it. But the cesspool has attacked them now to the point where for them to get any recognition now, they got to kiss each other. Well, that's well, they, beca- <laughs> they became hated so quickly too. Like they had that thing pop and then they tried to put out more content and they're like, Oh, you guys suck. And then they got thrown out. And now that's the last ditch effort to well, like stay relevant we, all in like what a year. We, yeah, I mean, totally. We, we live, we live in an age of trolls now, which is another big problem. Cause like all the, all the content curating is, is kind of supporting that right so we see even podcasts now where they're purposely having um these these like shallow conversations about like beef or like whatever and you're just like it's it's just a fan of flame to get people interested in the gossip right there's nothing to it other than just well, we don't like each other. And now we're going to put on these bullshit fights with these bullshit promotions. And we're going to all these quick money grabs. And then you have podcasts that talk about those things. And then it's like, <laughs> we're just fueling more troll culture is all it is. And, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to get like too political on here, but you can think, uh, you know, the fucking, we had a troll president. I'm just saying it sets the fucking standard, dude. And yeah. culture follows. It just does. Uh, also, to be clear, I don't give a fuck that two men kissed. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No, I, not at all. But I don't think people should have to resort to incest to keep themselves relevant. <laughs> that's where I'm coming from. Totally, dude. <laughs> that's it, it, that's and that I, it's you're seeing it so much. Like they're not the only examples. It's just happening across the board. Because again, I'm I, I watch what's on TikTok and I see. I try and not watch it too much as far as like like the bullshit like bantering stuff that's like not even like there's no substance to it, but it pops up a lot. And, and I'm watching I'm like, dude, this isn't a real conversation. This mm-hmm. is them trying to like fan the flames of some bullshit just to get attention. And that's the era that we live in right now. And that's that's toxic. We're not talking about substantive art here or like thoughtful engagement we're talking about just any engagement the lowest common denominator it's why jason aldean did that fucking tune it's it it it, it's zero to do with communicating 
a way to collaborate or to be together on something. It's only to draw a wedge so that you can get this side to spend all of their money and resources on you rather than a little bit from everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just, it's, it's, it's toxic to, to, to where we're at today. Yeah. I think, you know, people like to do the Conor McGregor mentality when it comes to, to marketing. Because I truly believe when the cameras turn off and that guy ain't in front of a camera, he's a normal-ass Irish dude. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. But, like, at somewhere, somewhere, Dana White was like, hey, you got you to gotta do that. Yeah. Or, or whoever. Or maybe his own in his own mind, he was like, this is working. Like, some people just want to play the villain. I play the villain, just not in real life shit. I'm a, I'm a villain in video games. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, I literally have a group called Toxic as Fuck Call of Duty. Yeah. And, like, we don't do anything but make videos of making people rage. Like, there's this one mode I play, and there's an out-of-bounds thing. So I'll get people to join my team, and we call it taking people out for pizza. <laughs> So we're all in the car. We're driving. I'm like, oh, there's enemies over here. We got to go over there. I get real close to the border. And then I just hang a hard right. And we all jump out of the car. And they're too far in the thing. And you'll die instantly. And I'm like, ah. Oh, my God. And, like, we're one of the biggest Call of Duty groups. Like, we don't have 20,000 members on Facebook. But, like, with our measly 3,000 member uh, count, all the Call of Duty groups have something to say about us because we're doing that bad press is good press. Right. And like, I'm not claiming we're all dope at the game. I'm claiming we're toxic. So when someone finally <laughs> kills us, they'll take a screen of their picture and then post it to all the groups and be like, ha ha, I killed a toxic fuck guy. And yeah. it's like, perfect, guys. We're doing it right. <laughs> That's, you know, in a context of a game like that, I think it's totally fair, though. I mean, you're literally just trying to kill people. And, and there's certainly a skill to it. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's the the it's a violent game yeah you know and and in the context of i don't know like and the mma stuff they took a page out of the wrestling the pro wrestling because that's what builds a hype about those fights fights is like it's it's the shit talking it's the soap opera that goes on you know with these people and then that that gets people engaged so i mean there's a place for it but i think like in the the realm of of like violent sports that's or, or gaming i think that's okay yeah it's it, it it's it, it goes into the brand and i think that like we need as a society we need those kind of spec spectacles, <laughs> spectacles. to kind of keep us at bay right otherwise we'd be fucking at war with each other all the time yeah right yeah. so like i think it's fine there but like I, it, when it comes to like art and and like conversation and stuff just in a general sense i think that kind of thing is is toxic you know mm -hmm. especially uh yeah with art like uh, anytime i'm on youtube and i see some youtube drama that's the first video i don't click yeah it's just, i hate that it's so manufactured too it's such bullshit bro mm -hmm. i can't see this podcaster over here has got one with it and then we gotta go on each other's podcast and be fucking awkward and weird what's that latest one that like not so funny awkward chick like did a podcast with drake or whatever yeah yeah um, got taken down off all the platforms it did yeah yeah, yeah yeah she unfollowed him and bobby bobby yeah. a law for a law for whatever dude. bro dude okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry to go off on a tangent here i just so i didn't watch that one but she was. Just, do you watch the Take Your Shoes Off podcast? With Rick. Yes. Yes, yeah. I saw that one too. Ooh. Oh, that shit was. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to pay someone three hundred dollars. No, you and Drake have the same manager. Let's yeah. be honest. But your PR person's behind the camera going. Yeah. Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, 
Okay, did you watch? Do you watch Take Your Shoes Off podcast? Yeah, me and my girl. We my girlfriend's like, who's this girl that did an interview with Drake? So we go on YouTube and we can't find it. It's not under Drake's name or her name. It's under some random YouTube channel that did a re-upload. Okay, and we're like, oh, that's weird. So then we got like 15 minutes into that, and my girlfriend and I were like, this isn't funny. Like her, she's like, I don't know, is she five years late to the awkward comedy thing? And I just like. Drake was funnier in that shit than her. Not even trying to hate, you know? Yeah. Her TikTok content for mommy stuff, amazing. Like, she has her, her niche freaking nailed, and she kills that shit. I think she just got... There's a lot of, like, YouTubers and, and TikTokers that get picked up by full-on production companies, and they throw a couple thousand dollars at them to, to like, make it into bigger than just a what it is. Right. And But no, her and Drake got the same freaking manager. That's how that went down. Bro, like when she was on Rick Glassman's podcast, I watched it last night because I, di I didn't know who she was. And it starts off, this is, he. Rick Glassman is a fucking genius, dude. He's so good. But this podcast starts off with them just being awkward as fuck in the elevator. And I'm just like, okay, this must be a bit. And I realized he has set the tone for the whole podcast because it was awkward as fuck. She was being kind of standoffish. And I understand that he he's probably like a weird guy to deal with. He kind of lives in that shit. But like, and she, and she was she was way out of her depth on on like the awkward shit with Rick Glassman. This dude is not only like a comedian, but he's also a dramatic actor and he's a little bit on the spectrum. So he can really, he's he spent his life in awkward situations and lives in that shit. Whereas she's just a personality who probably finds this thing funny and is trying to work out her character and hasn't fully fleshed it out yet. And you stepped in to the arena with <laughs> this fucking guy, yeah. right? Who's also got like 15 years of age on you too. So it's like, she was trying to play the game at first and he was like doubling down and then she got very defensive and then just starts like attacking him and like saying his podcast sucks and that she, he has like no followers compared to her and this and that. And then at a certain point, you see Rick really working hard to like get the conversation stimulated and he's like, at one point he takes off his headphones, God, you're such a fucking bitch. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, you know what, let's reset. He walks off camera and comes back and there's a whole little bit where he's like, whatever. And then, and then really gets her to open up and is actually a good conversation about halfway through it. And then he does some shit that she doesn't like. And then she comes off and it's at the end of the podcast, she was like, Rick, I hope I never have to see you again. And like, that's how it, I'm just like, dude, yeah. I would, I would recommend watching that episode. Take your shoes off. It is so uncomfortable, but dude, it's, it, it really showcases the brilliance of Rick Glassman though. Yeah. I think that's like her her style of awkward interview only works when the other person isn't in the same realm or a comedian. Right. Like like with the Drake one or the Tyga one or whatever other Mark one Cuban. she has. Yeah, I saw yeah. one of those and it was just like Yeah, but it's like like she ain't uh, the big red machine and Tony just riffing off each other at the end of the Kill Tony yeah. episode. Well, she's young. She's figuring it out. And hopefully, you know, maybe it works out for her. I don't know. She did. I don't think it was a good look for her on the Take Your Shoes Off podcast. And granted, she's had bigger guests on her podcast where maybe. But I don't know. Then she looks. She, she's talking about it on Tyso where she was like, I watched the episodes back and I like them. So maybe she's going. I don't know. I haven't watched them. So I don't know how awkward yeah. it is or how bad it is. I got, feel like if uh, I don't know if if William Morris was the talent agency I was on, and I had the same manager as Drake, and my husband made a million dollars, we could also be industry plants too. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. Yeah. Like, if only all of us had those resources. Like, how are you going to be like, well, I was looking for someone to be on my podcast. I'll give him $300. Like, uh, what? Yeah, you got she, a million bucks and a huge TikTok. Pay people. Yeah. She's, <laughs> yeah. She made it seem like it was a very easy get for Drake. Like, it, and the way she talked about it, I was like, there's something else happening. There's same, no way. Yeah. Same manager. Yeah, that's okay. There's just no way that you just, he follows you on Instagram and then you say, hey, you want to come on my podcast that's like not doing very well yet? And he's just like, okay. There's no fucking way, dude. Well, come, don't say that. We're doing the same shit. Yeah. No. If it's, yeah. But you're talking about like, you know, you're talking <laughs> about like, like people that have like disrupted the cultural landscape, like Drake and people and Mark Cuban versus like, you know, musicians that in our sphere are like, you know, the, the all times. Right. Yeah. But like, it's a different, different thing though. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know what her shtick is, bro. I don't think she's totally figured it out. It's weird as fuck. Yeah. But. I. I w uh, wish her the best. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess. I hope. And if you want to talk about it, we are bottom of the bill. Come on. Out. <laughs> yeah. We got three hundred dollars for you. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's wrap this up. Miles, this has been fucking awesome, dude. Thank you for hanging out with us. Oh, of course. Uh, to be completely honest, I was like. I'm not a musician or that well-known of a videographer. I'm going on this bottom-of-the-bill music podcast. I'm not even on the bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just great. We're all friends. Like, this was this was dope. Thank this you for having is, me. This is yeah, what man. it's all about, bro. We love this shit. So uh, thank you for coming on, and thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next time. Okay.